0: Good morning and welcome for the third and last day of Fresh Web Radio Live. We are in Paris. It is um, 10 past 10 local time, Friday, 22nd of September. And you are listening to the live stream of Fresh, Fresh, the international event for the development of contemporary circus and outdoor Arts. Outdoor, yes, we are almost outdoor uh, today. Under the rainy sky of Paris, we are at La Pelouse Reuilly, which is uh, located in the eastern part of, of Paris, still in Paris, but close to the Bois uh, de Vincennes. Bois de Vincennes, where you might know there is a new uh, zoo that was uh, renovated a few years ago, very, uh, a very beautiful place. But here, we are also under a very beautiful top, a top blue circus, a big top, the top of the Village de Cirque, where there is a festival, a circus festival, actually, these days, until uh, Sunday. My name is uh, Olavigne, I'm a French uh, journalist, and be your guide on this exclusive wave radio station streaming live in this third morning session of fresh for you to be able to listen to it all around the world and to make it possible with me Clément from uh, making wave uh, association and uh, to stream it all around the world uh, it's uh, we have the help of all around today on live you will be able to, to follow to the discussion, morning talks, artistic talk, round table, and additional small interview we realize with the partners of, of Fresh They are coming to join us. We are in a small angle, we find a place to be with you and to make you able to listen to what is going on today you can hear the crowd coming in this uh, kind of noisy place, each place as you can hear has its specific sound, we were first in, uh, in La Villette in a the theater yesterday we were to a wooden uh, top place and today we are in a Kind of um, uh, very light uh, tissue, kind of plastic uh, classical circus place, which is maybe um, let's say 30 meters diameter. Today, while the people are entering into the place, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the The schedule and the the program we will uh, listen to very soon. The topic, as you know, it's always different every day. first day it was safe, yesterday it... No, sorry, (laughs) I'm making a mistake. First day it was about care, to care. Yesterday it was about uh, uh, safe. And uh, today a very interesting topic, sustainability. And uh, it will start so with a keynote, a keynote uh, made by Eric Lenoir, who is a, a landscape designer. He will talk about sustainability, and he will join us at the radio place to talk a little bit more about it. Then, um, after this first uh, intervention, you will have uh, an artistic uh, talk led by two artists that uh, will, we don't really know what they will say, but we're very surprised. It is uh, Maria Baranos-Keiter Lieberman and Andrea Salustri. After this, this, this artistic talk, uh, I'll be happy to, to have on the radio um, an artist, that will talk about a new place, a new circus place here in Paris. It's called Rue Watte. And we will listen to the way he he, he did already different performance in this new urban place in Paris. And then it will uh, finish with a big um, round table involving five panelists, always, always about this topic of uh, sustainability and we might uh, leave each other after all this. It will be around uh, one o'clock. And um, as you know, you can follow us on circostrada.org. Circostrada, the network of contemporary circus and outdoor art. It's more than 300 members, more than 40 countries here in Paris, we are almost 300 people talking, uh, gathering, going to see performances in the afternoon, discovering places in Paris and around Paris. You know, you will be able also to follow to this Uh, a recording through podcasts that will be made after the event and also a publication, but I I can see people going towards the stage the main stage here in Pelouse Village de Cirque Uh, let's listen a little bit to the crowd, maybe meeting people while we are waiting for start to begin hello hello where are you from
1: uh, Brooklyn New York.
0: Uh, can, can you come with me we're going to talk with coming from Brooklyn
1: yes United States yes
0: <laughs> uh, what are you doing
1: uh, I'm here on behalf of the nonprofit Thomas dot so I'll be taking part in a session at 3 p.m today so discussing Work visas uh, for artists who'd like to come and perform in the U.S.
0: and it's quite difficult to get in the U.S.
1: It is very difficult. So I'm going to be uh, debunking some sort of pervasive myths and just sort of talking about like the bureaucratic procedure of it all and the costs associated as well.
0: Okay. And what is your advice?
1: My advice? Yeah, to get the Uh, visa to get to the states. Sorry. Sorry. Can you start again? Starting the process as early as possible would be, like, my number one tip because it can be quite long, months even, so.
0: Uh, what's your name again? Uh,
1: my name is Shelly Pinker, and I'm with ThomasDot.
0: And, and your uh, organization is called?
1: Thomas yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, it's a big one?
1: Uh, it's pretty small, actually. There's only, I think we have about three employees right now, so it's quite small, but...
0: And uh, who is uh, helping you to get uh, money to
1: to be able to have your foundation? How do you work? We have a national endowment for the arts grant that we work with. so uh, And we take donations as well from those are interested. Uh, I guess it's started.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: To
2: you from Brooklyn.
1: Welcome
2: to Village de Cirque. Bienvenue au Village de Cirque. My English is really, uh, it's a sleepy English, so uh, I'll, I'll be fast. Ouh là là, elle a un très bon anglais, surtout le matin quand elle se réveille. Et du coup, je vous présente, et j'ai le plaisir de vous présenter Marie Chapouillet, qui est la co-directrice de la coopérative de Rue de Cirque. OK, Pourquoi so my bien name bien? is Marie Chapouillet, and I have the pleasure to work at the direction of the coopérative de Rue de Cirque with Rémy Bovis, with with the founder? Founder? The founder, thank you. Uh, really, we are really pleased to see you here, ladies, gentlemen, and others uh, at Village de Cirque. Village de Cirque is a festival who, who supports uh, circus creation under Big Top, of course, and outdoor circus. It's uh, one of, uh, it's a part of. Activity of cooperative de rue de cirque. Uh, today it's a little uh, rainy. We are really sorry, but uh, we hope that the rain is is going away soon. And uh, we hope that you are, will have a really interesting and pleasant time here under our big top. And this afternoon uh, at Rouat at the Montfort, and at Le Poinçon. Thank you so much to you. And now you can. Say it in French, perhaps, Rémi. So we're going to
3: have a great day. The The rain will stop, and this morning we're here, and this afternoon we'll be in three different spots. What, outside and inside? What is the place uh, for creation that we opened exactly one year ago? I'd like to add one thing. Which is important to us in the uh, Rue de We're a member of Circus Strata for years now, and we try to develop support for artists across all disciplines in public spaces uh, and also in the big top to defend minorities, to defend shows that are produced in difficult conditions that give voice to people that we don't hear from anymore. And we do. Include a very diversified programming for all kinds of audiences, for everyone. And our programming is really based on that. It's important for us to be here and that there's so many of you here today and yesterday. 40 countries represented, over 300 people participating. I think that today, when when expression is threatened, artistic expression, and the freedom of expression is suffering in many of your countries, in many regions in France as well. There are collectivities, uh, government, uh, local government um, that is taking steps they would never have dared take before, and I think it's important for us to come together in all the languages we can to defend minorities and this freedom of expression that's so important to all of us. I wish you a wonderful morning and uh,
2: and uh, I look forward to seeing to see you, see you later, work well Circostrada, ...the team of Circo Strada who organized organize those three days, incredible three days, and Arsena, uh, thank you so much for, to them. Bye.
4: Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Maria and Rémy, for this introduction. Um, I'm just going to take a few moments to say that I'm very happy to see how many of you still stayed on Friday. It's, I know it's tiring and it's rainy but the rain will stop, okay? Um, Also, what I wanted to say is that I was uh, super, I feel super lucky and privileged to have been part of so many conversations during these two days on care, on safety, and today on sustainability. But there is really one conversation that really was fascinating last night that I wanna share with you is the one on chickpeas. And if chickpeas should be cooked or not. And it's really a a good conversation because when you talk about care and safety and really chickpeas become the priority of your professional life. So I was really happy for you to have this conversation last night. I hope this is one of the best takeaways from this fresh event and, uh, you know, really thank you so much for this. Where do our priorities are, right? Anyways, um, this comes from a place of love, of course. Ching. Um, So today we are super lucky to have with us Eric Lenoir. Eric Lenoir is a landscape designer. He's here with us. He's gonna give us a keynote around 20 minutes in French. So if you don't have your headset, go get it there now or in the next couple of minutes. I can see, right? And uh, the, the all the other interventions will be in English, okay? So, But only this one will be in French. So I'm gonna read the title of <laughs> the keynote, so it gives you some time to go get your set. And the title of the keynote is Caring for the Living and Earning a Decent Living or How to Respect Your Ecological Commitment Without Giving Up Your Job. So it's quite an interesting title. Um, Without any further ado, I will give the floor to Monsieur Lenoir (laughs) and welcome you on stage.
5: Merci. Bonjour Hello, everyone. I'll just give a moment for everyone to get their heads set. Or je peux broder, uh, or should I just uh, just start by saying I'm so happy to be here? And I'd like to thank
3: Arsena for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to speak about this topic. I'm going to speak slowly to begin while people get their headsets and get set up.
6: The recipe for
3: the chickpeas, Stefan, did you get it? It's a real, uh, it's a very important important issue. issue. We could talk about uh, uh, greenhouse gases in in relationship relationship to the chickpeas. uh, So, how can we respect our ecological ecological commitment without without, uh, giving up your job? As a landscape uh, um, designer, landscape designer, and as a citizen, even still, it's more important, even just as a citizen, I
5: am doing a job that is
3: related to living things, and I have to sell something to people. I have to change uh, territory and, and land, and in our context, it can be a little complex. We have a a problem sometimes that we all want
5: to go towards sustainability, the environment, ecology, saying, all right, I get it, I'm going to do what needs to be done. The only problem is
3: the immense majority of people doesn't really know what the stakes are and what they represent. So we can't be wrong. This is the famous, uh, this is not a pipe. We ce can say this is not a forest. Ça, That's a d'art plantation d'art. of trees. That's not a forest. Yeah, I have a little technical trouble here. Oh Oopsie okay. oh. Daisy.
5: these are forests.
3: Can you see the difference? Ça, this is ah, not d'art. a forest. It's it's a um, it is a grove.
5: Ah, ah, ça, ça <coughs>
3: I love lo- I'm love. just going to embrace low-tech here. I said, we make, we make a new green for space for leisure, and then people yeah. give you this.
5: It's just it's right two next two door. This
3: is 10 kilometers from here. Someone says, this is, this is a mistake. This, this is disinformation. This is misinformation. The intention may have been good, but when it leads to this kind of result,
5: with, with fences everywhere and a forest that was
3: destroyed, to make this instead, this is not... Uh, helping the climate, this is not ecological, and it's not the the approach we want to take today. This is misinformation, This misleading information. So despite ourselves, we are feeding a dangerous system while thinking that we're doing a good thing. We need a little bit. We need need to be demanding, but also humble. The number of people who do just just terrible things trying to do things right is is really quite high. And we're all probably guilty of that without realizing it. For example,
5: very interesting, you can eat avocados because you want to try not to eat uh, meat.
3: They come from Chile or Mexico, they're organic, but still, we make uh, benches out of recycled plastic, so we have favoured the use, continued use of plastic, and we put more into the environment. You've got uh, uh, logs from railway lines to recycle them and make tables, and
5: there's creosote inside them, which is uh, very highly polluting, and we all think we're doing great. Here we can. Uh, uh, c'est un spectacle de so, this is like a magic
3: show. It works. It doesn't it's work.
5: It's all an illusion. Bees, uh, is bees is a major issue. issue. We, we all want to save the bees.
6: Everywhere on
3: the planet. We said
5: we need
6: to
3: because save the, bees because, the, the, the bees because Einstein said on <laughs> Facebook that, <laughs> that if bees dispara- disappeared, that if there were no bees, there would be no humans. He never said that just between you and I, it doesn't matter. It's inspiring.
5: And it's very, very important to save the bees, bees, except that
3: these are domestic bees. bees. They don't matter. We don't need to save sheep to save wild wild nature. We don't need to save domestic domestic bees to save nature. I'll do this and maybe it'll work. In Paris, there are 1,000 to to 2,000 beehives that's 15 hives per square kilometer. That's a huge <inaudible> amount of beehives. Now the the we're the trying to forbid animals. people from putting on uh, hives up. The and now the other city is starting to have to forbid it because there are too many. They're domestic animals, the animals, animals. They're pets. The they have a funct- the function. Animals. Okay, They need to produce honey uh, by uh, pollinizing flowers. And it gives us uh, fruits and seeds. The only problem is they are big and fat. They, are, they don't pollinize all the flower. And they put a pheromone on those flowers which says, I've eaten it all. So if you look here, there's a couple of millimetres long. They live in the ground alone. They're disappearing because we've put so many hives. They're the ones we need. Butterflies that are pollinizing they also... also drink in uh, dirty water, not only uh, pollinizing flowers, and they will also uh, disappear if there are too many bees.
5: When we do landscaping here, we put these um, um, plants plants with lots of
3: flowers to bring domestic bees to an area, but that kills the bees that are in the ground. ground. We We just need to leave the, the wild areas as they are. <laughs> this is worse than ever, worse than ever. Oh gosh.
5: I've made, oh here we go, made another magic trick.
3: So a whole different font. What's going on? This is incredible. Circus is incredible. You just never know what's going to happen at a circus tent. So honestly question your practices. What am I doing and why? And is what I'm doing really useful or is it maybe counterproductive? Is it dangerous? In fact, if you make a big show like Burning Man, big festival, which is supposed to be ecological and environmental, Leave No Trace being the theme, that's great. But maybe uh, it's great to leave in a trace. But what a mess 70, on the way! Seventy thousand people in a in a in the middle of a desert. It means there's water. When you burn things like that, three thousand liters of kerosene per hour in on fire. Uh, air conditioning in all the camping cars, in the mobile homes that work with a petrol-fueled uh, electricity generators, and then. The beginning it started off being um, environmental. now people come in their j- private jets, several there are the stars that come in their private jets, which have a little bit of an environmental impact nonetheless. It's not exactly as it was supposed to be Oh no. Here, c'est here? Du décor. C'est this du is so you have the, the, the fire. But when it burns, burns there's a disgusting the black uh, for, uh, smoke that comes out. That's, that's the, the road traffic. That is it and there to go the to Burning Man like this year with the rain? It looked like that.
5: That's what we can
3: see. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's the part you can't not see. It's a big problem. Look at it. But what you don't see. So much is this, all the animals that were uh, moved out for days, weeks, or years because of the stress by that kind of event is colossal for animals. We don't know what's happening really. People come to Burning Man have no idea about life in the desert, and one of the species is this shrimp that lives in the middle of the desert. They live in as eggs. When it rains, they can come to life but why there are 70,000 people stomping around in that area where they were supposed to they would have been born this is uh, fields uh, birds from fields this is the effect of a fire Um, the New Year's Eve fireworks display all of the populations of birds were totally stressed in the middle of the night at, uh, at January 1st at midnight, that's in Belgium they, they just fly away. this are so stressed. There are animals that die. that hit each other non, in panic.
5: Are n- there are n- nests that, that
3: disappear, all kinds of things. And yeah. also yeah. on the 14th of July, we say, can we recycle yeah. aluminium of
5: uh, coffee capsules?
3: So let's talk about the idea of resilience. Mm-hmm almost voilà. le contexte, c'est ça. this is a context you can talk about the environment fait, little gestures that we make choses, how we the actions ça. we take the context is this
5: est-ce que ce que je fais est à la what de I'm de doing
3: is what I'm doing voilà. big, like it, que, on, on the, the right scale, scale for the stakes here airs,
5: when cool, you see forest dying, deserts deserts appearing in in France. That's a fire, Charleroi in Belgium,
3: near uh, some factory. When you see the anthropocenic era, which we could also call a capitalistic era,
5: which is now in the geological layers
3: and shows the results of our activity, it's It's pretty ugly, it's nice to uh, sort, it's great, (coughs) also great to uh, uh, sort your trash, but maybe we need to go further, you've got Dubai, fantastic, but lucky, here we are,
5: if you're here, is
3: that you want to change things, at least least, you want to change your practices, you've already considered that there is a problem, even if if you haven't explored all of the levels of that problem. You have to have to start by, start by admitting your the vulnerability and our interdependence. What is our level of interdependence with our, the, the environment we live in? It's un, it's an unbelievably high. Does anyone know the word hollow beyond You can raise your hand if you know it already.
5: The example, a perfect
3: example of hollow beyond is coral. You have little polyps. This little organisms.
5: organisms, they're in a huge colony on, minerals on minerals a
3: mineral structure minerals that they have create, created themselves. Another holobiont is you, you and your you micro-microbiont. Micro you All the microbes you have in your body and yourself, that's a holobiont. You're a living being made up of other living beings.
5: You have to consider
3: that we are a bigger part of a bigger holobiont, which is the planet, which is very complex and fragile they can be forward, all the little elements, all the tiny, 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 tiny elements that are part of living life on
5: earth interact
3: with the others at all levels, whether it's you burn a
5: a big fire in the middle of the
3: desert with 3,000 litres of kerosene, or you're just walking in the street, there's always an interaction.
5: Let's come back to this.
3: Animals, remembering that, that being there, there's always a, an interaction with the rest of the environment Donc, around si you.
5: Sur, uh, sur so if want to be able autres,
3: to move forward
5: métier, in our sector, role we have holobion. to consider notre our role
3: là. in the holobiont What est-ce je is our place?
5: Est-ce que you know, je am I an element,
3: a major element where I am? Am I destructive? Am I positive? On we're all of those things at once, in fact, variables with peuvent, variables that can d'un
5: context, position, change d'un a lot from one point.
3: context to another or from a, one say, moment have to have another. So we need to be this humble because we depend on, on nature. Say,
5: exemple, de we know now
3: sure with 100% certainty that biodiversity, the diversity of uh, all of the living beings, is, extremely important is very important to limit risks of pandemics, <laughs> you have less,
5: uh,
3: fewer pandemics and epidemics <inaudible> when you have high levels of biodiversity. We all know that it's collapsing, and we may play a role in that,
5: so we need to
6: cause less damage as well as protect
5: <inaudible> it.
3: So we may need to also look at biodiversity to save it, just to, to, in order to live. See, this? There's, there's some water today. Sure, there's still water. Tomorrow, will there still be water left? In case of doubts, always favor our simplicity and, and, and treading lightning. If I don't know what to do, if I have a doubt, if I think that maybe I might cause damage, I'll try to keep find this, the easiest lightest solution that would need the the slowest amount of technology of infrastructure, the the least amount of everything. It's not always painful. In my job as a landscape designer, it's a kind of way of life. I accept poverty. Sometimes. Now it doesn't make me suffer anymore. Because I have a little bit of notoriety, and I I give my talks, but I've better said to some clients who asked me certain things, I had to refuse. I said, I won't do it because I think it's damaging. I don't think it makes sense. I think your ethics is rotten and you're bastards and I don't want to work for you.
5: It also goes through inventiveness,
3: which is a bit uh, ballsy.
5: You have to change your
3: imagination. In, the in, very, very which in large landscape uh, design, design, we're supposed to uh, be uh, Instagrammable. The yeah, things we design, yeah, they're supposed yeah, to be very pretty. I when I get to people and I give the them that, and I say it's finished, you can come home. That's done. I've done it now. Uh, you have to, you have to really work hard with them. you have got to massage that, that idea. In the following months, it changed. And it looked, at, it had to start off looking like that, and
5: then. I've created a place, you don't need to water,
3: you'll never need to take care of the trees, it will be biodiverse, there'll be no problem with water, it will come there, it will infiltrate the soil, and instead of running away, you'll have flowers that weren't planned for, but it will cost you nothing. But it has to start by looking like this.
5: If I had done that,
3: Leaving, If I had left the, uh, that school doing that, I would never have passed the <laughs> exams.
5: This is also in agriculture,
3: where we're starting to design things differently. We're coming back to ancient practices. We're kind of reinventing uh, the wheel.
5: And so we're kind of coming backwards
3: to do... After We went to 120 million inhabitants, and now we've got 8 billion. So feeding people, it's a different scale now. And there's some good experiments that have been done. So instead of having big uniform fields, we're having things now that are much more diversified. Instead of having crops that are enormous, we're divided into small parcels, and it works. It doesn't work with simplicity. There's also a question of clientele for that. If you want to plant trees in the middle of the field... You have to eat something. What's on the tree? And because peasants are not going to plant stuff that people no one can eat, they can't sell.
5: These key lines are different kinds of crop.
3: Instead of doing, we do lines, and then we put trees and we mix the crops. Instead of having a huge, very expensive wheat crop, particularly since we can't get it from uh, Ukraine, we have a bit less. Wheats are a bit less money, but you'll have much more resilience
5: qui sera, qui sera
3: as a result. Donc, que
5: de dire, je veux ça, je Instead veux of saying, ça, I want this, I, I want that,
3: at the yeah, place that okay. I, I, de I have, de I have? Je de we have, have, to have, to say, have to say, what could I do in this place, place? And what place can, can I leave for the rest of life? It gives that. It's nothing, but cost nothing.
5: Between making a just a lawn five, six, and six, to do that, the 20
3: species that, that can appear because the person decided to just use to the uh, lawnmower to make a heart I mean, instead of I mean, taking I mean, everything I mean, off, I mean, you could be creative. It's yeah. an anarchist <coughs> landscape designer.
5: Ah oui, ça aussi c'est une façon de revoir mon métier. I can see
3: my job this way, a little bit of humility. I try to do as good a job as she does. This is what she does. She can make that, that landscape. It didn't cost very much, huh? There's four posts, one cow in the middle, and that's what the landscape ends up looking like because a lot of landscapes... There's not a lot of landscape artists that could make something so beautiful as that cow.
6: Uh, uh, Pulling our efforts
3: very important. You don't need to hear that as circus performance. Of course, you know that working together is key. The living world is inspired by that. Here you have an insect, which it eats uh, rotting flesh, charming. But these are parasites on him. These are um, mites that know that this uh, species so will take will it so- somewhere where, where they can find food. So the, the insect is okay the to carry the them. the, uh, the mites might even solve some, some of his problems and they just he the just takes them where they want to go.
5: Morta- insect.
3: The, the bigger instinct doesn't die more because of that and it doesn't cost anything more physically. It's not a big effort for him
5: or It doesn't try to get rid of
3: the uh, mites on its back. It doesn't bother. And maybe sometimes that the bigger... The bigger ones can carry the smaller it's ones the in the world. Pulling efforts here to transform things.
5: We have an imagination. Maybe we could do it collectively.
3: And maybe working together, we can, we can make it look like something.
5: Here you see initiatives by citizens who want to
3: take... uh saying, who will take care of poorer people if it's not us? Is it the uh, workers' fraternity? Une bande de where two crazy guys
5: that, that, that grains, seeds
3: that allowed you to grow food for yourself should not be expensive, baguette, and they set that up. Manuel, right to
5: close,
3: right close to here. With, uh, There's some crazy to people to here, here les communes, who took over public some for, public for space to, to let people who live there use it. And allow, and allow them, them to use it. When we're talking about nature
5: it's inspiring.
3: Nature doesn't make it any trash. it doesn't exist. there are no there's no waste in nature. In our global footprints
5: as humans,
3: we are capable
5: physiologically, biologically, genetically. Pour ne pas de
3: we're designed to not make any waste. Waste is a huge no problem, no problem now. We're it's something that we don't need to do. We're the only species on Earth that produces waste. And, uh, Why?
5: Nature does not make waste. It creates resources. It creates resources. Better still, this is a tree in a very dry
3: place in the southwest of France, very dry place, the Oriental, the Western Pyrenees, which is the most uh, hit by climate change. These forests contain very, very very old trees, which are now dead. So this dead tree has got all these holes in it. So there are insects in it who are nourished by it and then animals that eat those insects. And so now it's like a sponge. When you go into one of the holes that's been dug by a beetle, you find liquid water. That was the end of August last year. It hadn't rained since April. The region was very dry and there was liquid water running inside that tree. When you're working with the, the wild, Nature, nature always wins. we have seen Machu Picchu, you can see Ankara, you can see Chernobyl. De de but de I've been there to see it with my own eyes. Nature, the, the, the nature wins. Nature always wins. It's just it's a, question question of time. Of time. Nature, a question of time. Watch nature, what diversity? Those are questions. But we've got good allies. We can so choose good allies from the start. So you have to have good practices. Take them on board. You have to vehicle these I practices. I think this is what and needs to de, de be done and show an example, live by example, even if that shakes things if up. If it's for the right cause, there's no choice. If you don't do it, the problem is collective.
5: It's
3: not just a little bit tricky now because there'll be less fewer bees, it's just we won't be able to live there anymore. And, and me, you work in the, in the, in the arts example, I work in gardens if there's a world where there's no resources we can't do anything, we can't work there's no more meaning so it's the best is to start simplifying as, as uh, much as we can now here we
5: are just to say we're really on a
3: little a tiny fragile planet in the middle of all of that I think I've reached the end thank you very much
0: to Éric Lenoir, it's very clear, very strong uh, talks. Éric Lenoir, as you could hear, is a landscape designer, and uh, what he told us was, uh, the less we do, the best it is. And he presented himself on the screen like a cow, and he said, this is me, an anarchist landscape designer like the call we could see. And we asked him to join us for a few more talks because I want to know a bit more about Eric Lenoir who joined us. Eric, uh, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, we can stand or no, we can sit.
5: I prefer to sit, but I don't hear you correctly.
0: So I'm getting closer to you. Thanks. You hear me?
5: Yeah, that's great.
0: <laughs> ah, you have a way to talk, very simple, no? It's like a militantism. It's activism. You're an activist, more than a philosopher of uh, landscape design.
5: The act is something very important. You can talk for hours if you don't act. It's no use.
0: Uh, When did you start to work as a landscape designer in this purpose of sustainability? When did it start for you?
5: I tried to start at first. But I, uh, I, wasn't able, I wasn't able of that because the system wants something else. Uh, so it took me something like 20 years to, to, to do it like I want. Uh,
0: because the system wants a quick result.
5: The system wants more than quick results. It wants an image, um, um, a global image that, that, um, that's… Uh, how can I tell that in English? Um,
0: Say it in French, maybe I will be able to translate.
5: Uh, yeah, there's the, um, a collective ima- image, a collective image of the gardens that needs that needs to be a certain way. Uh. Uh, if, you, uh, if you watch the movie um, Edward Scissorhands, you can see the gardens in it. Yes, that's part of the imagination of people. They want something close to that. Like in uh, desperate housewives and everything. There's an image of the garden that leads to that. People do the things, but they don't know why. They Uh just want to have a a, a clean garden, a showy garden, but they don't know why. They don't use it. They don't live in it. They don't play in it.
0: You would say that the garden is like a handbag. What What are your tools? A knife. A knife? A knife.
5: I need a knife. I need a bit of rope, a rope.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? God. Yes, a rope.
5: <laughs> I need a book. I need a uh, I need um, a cahier. Uh, is it? comment on, cahier. Yes, yeah,
0: some paper, uh, some. I need some paper
5: and a um, and a pen to, 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 to draw on it or to write on it. That's all.
0: What do you look at at first when you arrive in, on the site? On the site, Yes, what do you look at first? You look at the sky, you look at the ground, you look around?
5: There's not any order. Something jumped into my eyes at first. It depends on the situation. W- one of the problems is that uh, people want a, a solution, a wa- the one solution. There is no one solution. There are ways mm. and non-solution. Mm. The truth is that. So you have to be humble. Uh, with anything you propose mm. uh, you may have the solution within your purpose but it's not sure mm. and so you have to, uh, to explore all the ways that appears to you mm. and the first thing and that
0: oh and the first thing just tell us though, there will be the artistic talk now starting now and I can see that Maria Baranoskaya-Liberman will talk, and Andrea Salustri. Just will, will take for the first thing, Eric Lenoir, and we'll let them talking. So what is the first thing? What
5: is my... What, sorry? The first thing to do? The first thing to do is to do nothing.
0: <laughs> it's to
5: watch, to watch to understand what happens there.
0: Thank you very much, Eric. You're we'll very welcome. We'll continue on the artistic talk.
6: So,
7: so,
8: I am uh, Maria, uh, an artist based in Lithuania, and uh, my background is that I started in contemporary dance uh, and then shifted uh, to clown, and then it was a big uh, clash for me between contemporary arts and the clown work, so I call myself now Conceptual Clown, um, and uh, yes, and now I'm fresh mom as well.
7: And um, I'm Andrea Salustri. I started as a street artist, then I transitioned to philosophy, and then dance and choreography. I was supported by Circus Next as a laureate in 2019. I created a couple of works, and now I'm doing object manipulations.
8: So you will hear a philosopher and clown talking about sustainability.
7: But you don't know which one is which. Um, So we are here today to talk about sustainability in more than human circus. What is that?
8: It's that that we both, with Andrea, we are, uh, I don't know if we are obsessed or just uh, normally interested into uh, rethinking relationship with um, uh, non-humans. So both of us objects, and now I expanded also to rethinking relationship to animals in circus and arts.
7: Yes, maybe then we touch also what is an object, if there are human and non-human objects, and what else is to be defined and identified as an object. But let's start sharing a little bit of our practices and how we encounter the question of sustainability in our practices.
8: Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's have a nice photo to start with. Yes, so this is uh, me under the sofa, and uh, I think that's my uh, starting point where uh, I encountered the uh, feeling and relationship to sustainability. So uh, I think six years ago, more or less, I started questioning what's my artistic voice, what's my artistic pleasure, what do I want to do um, uh, for real? And I found out that my favorite thing to do is nothing. Uh, It was also before Corona times, so I was really overwhelmed and thinking about all the global crisis, it made me feel like oh my god uh, and then if I stop and pause it's still also so much of happening that I started compared to myself to an object uh, more specific to a sofa. So I used to say I'm like cozy cute, comfy but so heavy and ignorant. So I do believe there are some people who are also like, In the question of sustainability, feeling like, oh, I'm relaxed and enjoying my life. But uh, there is this side of uh, ignorance, which is uh, not totally bad, bad. It's also good. (laughs) So we will talk it more. But of course, uh, nothing is not really possible to do. I try to do it. it. It's impossible. So this is kind of a circus for me. Um, But uh, later on, I started developing this and I started to have to do something. So I started actually making shows for objects. First, sofas, then more objects. Um, And then later on, it shifted to uh, animals as well. But uh, I didn't perform for animals. I invited ducks to perform for humans. This is my practice.
7: Yeah, very cool. Um, I encountered the question of sustainability working with polystyrene because the first um, big creation I did is called Materia, and it's an exploration of this. You can
8: show also your photo. I can
7: pass the sofa and arrive to polystyrene. So what um, I do is a performance of in-between choreography and object manipulation that explores the possibility of this material. But in the process of making the show, I was wasting a lot of polystyrene, which is not a good thing. Um, So the question, what do I do with this waste, came very strongly inside of the creation process. And I started looking for strategies. The first strategy was to start creating some artworks, arguably, with uh, the waste. So in order to perform the show, I need to have perfect shaped polystyrene, uh, as perfect as it can be, a piece of beautiful polystyrene. And when it's missing a corner or something like this, unfortunately, it cannot go on stage. The magic wouldn't happen. So these fairly good pieces became these kind of artworks. And uh, it's a growing uh, series that is sometimes touring in connection with the show. There is an exhibition. The series is called Toxic Landscapes. And I manipulate them and I paint on them, and I really use the polystyrene as a canvas. And um, we have a brief parenthesis, because Maria and I actually, first of all, we met in Circo Strada event in Kaunas last year, which is really nice now to be back. Um, But also, Maria made a reformulation of Materia. She made Materia 2.0. It's a very sustainable way to make Circus. You recycle someone else's performance, super sustainable.
8: And it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I recently made a film inspired by Andrea's work for Polystyrene. So Polystyrene is the audience. It's serious. It's really happening, this project.
7: Yes. <laughs> and this happened thanks to the support of a platform called The Sphere, in which we are both uh, inside.
8: And you will hear about it, I think, a little bit later on from, from Ulle. Ulle. yeah. yeah.
7: Um, so what did we do? And this series of um, artworks grew into kinetic installation and more, and we made an exhibition together uh, recently in Columbus. Kaunas also. Everything has happened in Kaunas. It's the place to be. And um, here are some uh, pictures. So yes, as a sustainability strategy, this was the first approach that I did. Try to transform the waste into artworks. Was it enough? Clearly not.
8: Uh, We can expand. Yes. Yeah, about practices. Uh, Uh, Yeah, just one second. Polystyrene recycling.
6: Yes.
7: So, what I wanted to say is that I had a lot of fragments beyond the semi good panels. Um, So, I went on the best place to find information nowadays, the internet. And on the internet, I found out that there are worms that can eat plastics, specifically polystyrene. That was really cool. Uh, there were a bunch of kids uh, from high schools in the U.S. doing science projects. They are the best researchers ever. And also some uh, surfboard companies that were using these strategies. So I found out that there are these beautiful, uh, disgusting little thingy that can actually eat polystyrene, and it's super interesting. Um, they are called uh, Zopobas morio, commonly known, and you can Google this, worms. Uh, you will find them. And it's actually a very recent thing. The first scientific paper about them came last year in June uh, from the University of Queensland that proves that they cannot only process polystyrene, but they can live on a diet based on sole polystyrene, and then they gain mass, so they can really feed out of only polystyrene plus hydration. It's very important, hydration. Um, yes, as a, as a little example of how this sustainability question affected my practice and transformed my plastics. Then I started making a little artwork with this polystyrene. So in this installation we made together, thanks to the support of the sphere, uh, I made a little dollhouse for the worms to be destroyed during the course of the festival. So it was there. They were eating the polystyrene, their, their own little house. And there was a contact microphone, and you could hear them crunch, 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 crunch. And uh, yes, they were also touring with me around in order to get there. So this is how I encountered first the problem. But now, as you were saying, we go a bit more deep
8: into the practices. Yes, very deep into uh, maybe uh, sofas again. Yes. So in this photo, you see how my show functions um, because there are no object festivals and I still really enjoy being with humans, and uh, it's my way of surviving as well, I have to go to human festivals. So even though I do it for sofas, people come in and I need to deal with them. Uh, And it's really challenging. It is problematic, the object and the human relationship, because if the human is standing next to an object, of course I'm more into a human. But um, it was a challenge for me how to... Uh, separated so I ask people either to uh, go out from the show for uh, 30 minutes or uh, hide in the room so I can focus or uh, they should convince me that they are sofas and most of the people are doing that and why is it uh, it's funny and also uh, bizarre uh, but it's very good practice because they try to be an object. This is a practice I practice myself as well. And then, surprisingly, they really understand what does it mean to be a human. They start questioning what's the real vitality that's hidden in me because you cannot stop thinking, you cannot stop breathing, you want to pee, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's like uh, very expanding your own understanding who you are. And um, and then, uh, yeah, this is a show I made uh, for cellos. Uh, this project uh, is also great. Uh, the only sad part was that the producer that helped me to make this work bought all the cellos to be my audience. And it was a big conflict for me because I, I wish that none of my audience would be bought. Uh, if I travel with sofas, then I really want to do it for local sofas of that place and it's the same with polystyrene. I don't buy polystyrene, I want polystyrene to be from there and they are just about to be recycled and just before I make the film for them and um, of course I don't think that polystyrene and sofas will be very happy receiving my work. I know they don't have feelings and etc but I do believe that they have some good vibe some good energy, and they feel a level of different respect. Um, Yes, and then maybe ducks. Um, uh, So one friend said, Maria, you still uh, have time to do something new. Uh, Are you always going to talk to objects? And then said, do a show for humans, please. But I said, uh, well, but non-human topic is very... uh, very nice. I think it's uh, it's advancing more and more and uh, um, I wanted to keep it. So I said, I don't want to perform for humans. I'm not ready. So what can be uh, performers for humans, but non-humans? So I thought about ducks. It was also the Corona times. I was walking around the park and uh, it happened that I thought just looking at them, it makes me so much joy. And In circus, we are like losing this relationship to animals, it's becoming illegal, and it makes me a bit sad, actually. I saw good shows with nice human and animal relationship, and then if we completely banned it out, it's a bit like, "Ah, it's good maybe for animals, but it's sad for me. (laughs) So, if I don't manipulate ducks, I don't try to change their environment, I just... Still, I st- sit still like a sofa, and they look at them, I observe, I listen, I try to learn from them. It's beautiful. So this is how the show works. Like We do a little education lecture for people, and then we are teaching them how to look at life and things and objects, notice. And then we go to the park, and people are sitting and watching ducks. It takes two hours, so you're we well, very welcome. Like with lecture, not just watching ducks. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about your practice? Just a little uh, bit
7: about um, your strategies, because in all of yes. this work, there are very clear
8: strategies. So. Oh, good, you reminded me. Yes. So my strategies are that it's very paradoxical. So I really like to stay uh, passive and do nothing, but on the other side... I really uh, feel pleasure to look for this vitality and let's let's bring more life, so I do this or that I don't like in the middle um, another strategy is that I really as I mentioned, I try to be an object from time to time, like uh, for example, I tried being a sofa, then being a human, then being half half and then reflecting it's very recommended because you understand so much about uh, uh, how much imagination, trying to understand what does it mean to be a thing, it brings. I think the level of creativity is hidden in there. Uh, And another very important thing is like um, trying to get out from anthropocentric uh, approach. This is actually what we can expand on, um, human and object relationship. I just find
7: super fascinating about while trying to be something else than yourself, It's like the question of what is the difference between me and a sofa? As silly as it sounds, as strong as it is, it's really nice. And then there is this level of noticing and looking and um, really about rethinking our perception of objects that is really where our practices, as different as they are, we really meet. And I think that the bigger takeaway that we would like to give out of this little talk is really about trying to stress the focus on our perception of the object uh, environment in which we are immersed and that we are trying to rethink somehow in different ways.
8: You want to tell about your... Yes, uh,
7: Um, there was a last slide about uh, Maria and polystyrene.
8: Uh, This is me trying to be polystyrene, uh, taking care of a vacuum cleaner in a film, of Materia 2.0.
7: In, a, in the best cinemas. Um, OK, my practice. So I work with objects. At some point uh, during my transition from juggling towards dance and choreography, I started uh, working not anymore with codified circus props. And I started uh, being very interested in common objects. Um, so my practice would be to go to a studio completely empty ended, see what we find them what I would have found there, and there are always objects, more objects that you think around yourself. And uh, yes, and then I would start playing with these objects. And what I would train is basically not trying to find tricks, not trying to develop my own skill and trying to be amazing in displaying this and that, but trying to train my creativity because we are born with um, amazing skill of looking at the world with a very curious eyes, uh, we were uh, talking about Ula, the baby, the other day. Having a 20 minutes investigation of a chair, it was fantastic. It was the peak of our both practices. This is the core.
8: Professor, for me now, how to observe objects.
7: But really, and the more we grow into adulthood, the more we become functional human being, the more we know how to use things, but also we lose the capacity to investigate them, and. So defamiliarization as a technique to apply to objects in order to develop a language with each object and then try to build a dialogue. This is really where my practice grows. Can,
8: can I quickly add, uh, just sure. not to lose? I, I noticed the same issue that uh, uh, when we are in connection, what's the problematic between human and object? Uh, when I started to work with sofas, people would ask me, but do they like your show? Do they pay for tickets? Uh, How they react when you do this? So what it means, it means that we immediately put our human perception that the object is kind of me type of thing. And then we don't notice what real qualities the object has. What does it mean to be a sofa for a sofa as a sofa, not a sofa human? And I think it's a big, big difference uh, to be aware of. Um, Yeah, and
7: the real problem with our relationship with objects and the unsustainable part of our relationship with objects is how we perceive and interact with them, that it's very often a uh, use-and-dispose kind of um, relationship. This is why I made a, a show with polystyrene, like trying to look at differently to something that is usually... You, you take it out of the box, you take the goods out of the polystyrene, and you trash the polystyrene away. You go to La Villette, that you get your little picnic box, and then there are these boxes of polystyrene flying around. that then we're very well taken care of. But yes, this is this is the concept. So how can we look, how can we put a spotlight on this and look at this thing that we usually don't look at as important and we see it very disposable uh, in a different way?
8: Can we mention what we discovered yesterday about your practice to to look for different affordances for the objects. Yeah, I, was, I yeah. was getting to that. Mm-hmm.
7: So um, what I do is trying to, um, yes, discover objects. I started working specifically with uh, discarded uh, objects. Uh, and whenever I go to teach a workshop, I ask the presenter that uh, is, uh, uh, let's say, facilitating the workshop to collect trash, basically. And uh, this happens with... Um, Scrapyard, this happens through secondhand shops. They have always something that they cannot sell anymore for long months and they collect. And sometimes this grows into uh, shows. So here is an example. Um, I was at uh, SAC, Seoul Street Art uh, Creation Center. Uh, I made a project together with a company uh, from Seoul called the Chorosco. We gathered a lot of um, originally trash, but then performative objects uh, from the street of Seoul, and we made uh, a show together. Uh, this happened in 2021, with the support of Art Council Korea. It was really, really beautiful. And um, yes, this was an example of this practice of mine that is looking for, yes, affordances for objects, where usually we perceive objects, we look at objects with two main categories in mind. One being their designed function, and the second one being their economical value. And often we flatten object to these two parameters. Polystyrene has a very quickly exhausted function, as we mentioned before. Once it's out of the package, it's done. Single-use material. And the second one is uh, very low economical value. It doesn't cost much. I can throw it away. I can buy something new. And we this this perception really affects the way we interact with things. I have my phone here and a glass of water. One is not worth as much as the other. I don't relate. I don't take care of. I don't invest. It's completely different relationship. And this goes on your daily life.
8: But I found it beautiful uh, how we discussed yesterday that rethinking what else this object could afford prolongs the life. Time of that thing. If you stop using the cup as a cup, maybe it can be a pot for your plant, and maybe later on something else, something else. So this is very beautiful sustainability um, possibility.
7: Yes, these are uh, a couple of pictures from the workshop. Um, there are different exercises and different strategies how to engage in a dialogue with objects and uh, how to reinvent objects. But as you were saying, finding affordances trying to look at things that are familiar in an unfamiliar ways, it's really my strategy is to try to change our perception. Whereas you have a different ways to somewhat get close to the same goal.
8: Yeah, I go even more radical. For example, I did a uh, workshop for sofas only. Uh, people had to come, but uh, it was badly organized. So I asked just sofas to be in the room. And for five days, I would start like with warming up. So I warm up my own body and sofa can't warm up itself. So I would do a massage for a sofa and then we do contact improvisation together. And then I was very excited. I started to tell to people I'm doing this. Then some dancers said, oh, can I come for this workshop? I see, but you are not a sofa. But if you want to do something for sofa, please do. And then in five days, we started rolling around, putting sofas on the head and being in very intimate relationship understanding your own body and the sofa and
6: um...
7: this sounds very funny but it's a very deanthropocentric practice and the anthropocentrism the core of it is the idea of subjective transformation the idea that we can be affected by object as much as we affect object that the jer- hierarchy somehow flattens and uh, can be reversed even so if we s- stop thinking of ourselves as being able to use and dispose of everything, and we start thinking of um, our role in the midst of it and how we relate with the different things that we are constantly surrounded by, this is magic can happen. Things suddenly are beautiful, are super interesting, and you can have a 20-minute amusement, mo- amusement moment with a chair.
8: Yes, but it's, it's hard. Like we, I would definitely invited to try this out, but it is not easy. I would say more than 20 minutes, it might get boring. I try to talk to sofas and perform for them, and then, no, oh, I want something else. So it's also good not to overjudge ourselves, but we are still humans, and it's impossible to climb out from your own only human perception. So what I do in these pessimistic moments when I'm like, oh, I cannot understand objects, even if I try, or animals, then I'm just saying, it's okay, Maria, just have fun. Just do whatever you want to do. Objects will not judge you. They will still be in your show because you will bring them in. They cannot run away. So it just really liberates you. So during Corona times, when everybody was stuck in their houses, I did a workshop online for all the artists who cannot go to perform for humans. And I said, come on, go to your room and perform for your objects in the house, for your kitchen, for your whatever. And uh, yeah, people got inspired and uh, had fun with it.
7: Fantastic. So we are not done yet. We have four minutes. A Mm -hmm. very TED Talk uh, professional exercise that we would like to share with you. So, next slide, please. Investigation time. What we would like you to do, we would like you to find an object, preferably something that belongs to you. You are full of objects. I am using object now to communicate with you. I have objects on myself. Just find something that belongs to you. And uh, we are going to, sorry.
8: Yeah, and, and then we would invite you for one minute, yeah? One or two? Can we do one two? Minute. One. One and a half.
7: One and a half minutes. One and a half s- minutes. Sold to Maria. We invite
8: you just to look at the thing, um, keep silent, keep exploring, and uh, and uh, we with Andrea we give one object for each other as well.
7: Yes, but for you it's best you you find something that belongs to you, and you will find out how alien this thing is. We just ask you for this minute and a half to keep your curiosity high, not to finish it, not to exhaust it. Like don't close the painting. Imagine you are a, a, a a newborn and you're discovering this thing for the first time trying to get out of the go baby style do you have
8: an object for me i have an object i i thought we will be sitting on a sofa so i wanted to go uh, with a sofa but i don't have big one so i have a very small from my pocket that's
7: perfect thank you this is for you oh thank you um do you have an object yes fantastic then for one minute and a half in silence. Don't get too excited. Don't share it yet with your um, neighbors. We do this. We ready? We start.
0: We can see here now all people around staring at one object in silence on the screen. It is called the investigation time and at the invitation of Maria and Andrea we have one minute to stare at an object and I'm staring myself at the microphone of course it's a very silent moment we can see people staring at their Phone, bottle of water, let me see more, paper, I can see a ring, everybody is playing the game. Small box,
7: so much. And we are done. Thank you very much.
8: And yeah, no, we no, no, decided...
7: No. We are done with the exercise. We are not done with the lecture because we have <laughs> homeworks for you.
8: Yeah, we decided we don't share any of this experience.
7: You can share afterwards with your ah, okay. neighbors. But let's, let's go to the homework right yes, away. Yes, homework. First, two homework. First, homework. You can do the same thing with something that is in the way to your house. It could be a treat. It could be a lamp toast. It could be a graffiti on the wall. If you stop for the first time, 30 seconds homework, 30 seconds, to explore this in the same way, you will never be able to see that thing the same way again. You will always notice it when you go back home. It happens. So please do this homework, only 30 seconds.
8: And if you want to go more radical, uh, try to be an object for two hours. If you need help, call me. I will explain how to do it. So thank you for listening to us. Thank you very
7: much.
4: Thank you so much, Maria and Andrea. So we have a 10-minute break now. You can get up and get out if you want. and we come back in 10 minutes, right? Thank you.
0: It is twenty-five past eleven local time here in Paris, <laughs> Pelouse Roye, Village de Cirque. You are listening to Fresh Wave Radio Station, streaming live the event and the artistic talk. Just right now, <laughs> we could think of an object to be in relationship with an object being a sofa, and as you know, in this event, there are performing performances in the afternoon, and um, and this is why I invited Fabrice Guillot from the Compagnie Mont, mm-hmm. who does with the city like they ask to do with the object. And I wanted uh, to invite you, Fabrice, because uh, your company does outdoor performance, vertical mm-hmm. performance, and since one year is used to perform in the new circus place, new mm-hmm. outdoor place here in Paris, which is called Rue What Street What. So I wanted to know first, how does it look, this specific place in Paris, the Rue What, where this afternoon you will be performing again?
9: This Rue it's uh, quite uh, strange and funny because uh, it's nearly invisible. When you arrive on the square, you, you see nothing. A flat square, and on this flat square, you have some railings. And when you watch under, there is a hole, like a canyon, a urban canyon. And uh, in this urban canyon, you have uh, the Ruat, this is uh, the name of the street. Uh, then you need to take uh, the stairs to go to go to that to that place, and you can come into this creation uh, on the pedagogic uh, space. It's a really interesting uh, laboratory, then it's uh, when you are in the street you have some walls, twelve meters high, and up there you have the square, and up the square you have some buildings. Then it's. Um, multi-level, uh, multi-level uh, space, and um, there is some studios of creations, and we made, uh, we made a, cr- a crea- first time of creation in that space, in the wall, then we were dancing on the walls, and we, the, um, the journey, uh, the movement of the dancer, uh, was doing some draws on the fresh paint, then uh, it's, uh, it will stay there for a moment, and we began also to uh, explore with uh, with students of the university because there is a university uh, just uh, in the same street with a stu- dance studio.
0: Yeah, we have to say that this street is located in the 13th arrondissement of Paris, yes. which is very close to the new library, the Bibliothèque yeah. François Mitterrand. It's a new, it's an old area that was... Re urbanized in a way with uh, new buildings. Uh, There is this uh, University of Tolbiac very next to it. The river is not so far away, and it's uh, in the south of of Paris. So (laughs) (laughs) just look to see the 13th arrondissement, uh, Mm -hmm. very nice and very lively uh, area.
9: Absolutely. And, uh, With a
0: lot also of Chinese uh, community of uh, restaurants,
9: mm-hmm. and uh, we had many experiences now uh, in the in that space, and I like to imagine that the the place where I work is like an apparatus. Uh, it's exactly if uh, I I begin an exploration of the space. And the creation space has some pillars, Mm -hmm. some truss at the vertical. There is some truss on the roof. It's possible to hang. Uh, We can dance on the wall. We can dance in the void also. Then we are not using only the surface on the ground, but you are using that space in the three dimensions completely because it's possible to hang everywhere. It's possible to climb in the truss. Uh, to go into the truss, also in the little, uh, in a really little uh, space, and uh, and we began this exploration with students of uh, different levels, some beginners, some.
0: Uh it's not. It's 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 a spectacular place, but it's not so easy to take uh, the space in this place. How, how do you look at it? Naturally, you. How do you look to a place like that when you first? arrived and said,
9: okay, I will perform, uh, where is the first look? For my practice, it's it's really easy to imagine something in that space. And it was really interesting, the process we had in that uh, studio. It's uh, We began the creation, the research of the creation on the wall, uh, and a uh, few months be- after, we came again, but we opened the door, and we went on the wall of the real street, because that, that wall is higher, and it's, it was really interesting to have a first exploration with a, a low level, 8 meters high. And now we are outside with a 13 meter high, meters high. And uh, we continue the creation for weeks on, the, on, on that wall. And it's interesting for a, a space with open to street art. To, uh, it's a kind of laboratory. We can begin to explore, to imagine some process, some, uh, some movements. And after that, it's open to the streets, yes. it's open to the square up there, it's open to the district.
0: Yeah, but what is difficult when you do open air in the city? We can imagine there is electricity, there is cars, buses, people. How do you work with the life inside the city while you work in, in this place?
9: Uh, I made I made this choice to uh, to do the creations all the nearly all the time of creation we do the, we do that times uh, outside in the city uh, in order of uh, yeah with no specific uh, organization and uh, it's a surprise for people who are because when you have a show you have a, a meeting uh, you know at what time it will begin but us we are we have some weeks, and uh, nobody knows what we are doing. And some people are stopping, are asking, uh, and it's always interesting to uh, to create a kind of uh, surprise. Yeah, surprise completely. So, uh, with uh, a piece of art, in uh, we we we, at the beginning, it's. Uh, we, we start, we imagine the vocabulary, and uh, step by step, we arrive to the creation, and we made the premiere, uh, the 2 of September, on the wall, just in front of uh, Rue Watt.
0: And tell us a bit more about what is happening this afternoon in the Rue Watt. So we see it's a street, Watt, but it's not only a street, it's also a wall, it's, it's underneath, it's a, so it's, it's a complex, as you say, uh, uh, like a geometric geometrical uh, space.
9: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a work about horizontality of pedestrian uh, space and verticality. And there is, a, there is a limit. There is a border between the horizontal and the vertical uh, element of the street. And I imagine that uh, this limit doesn't exist anymore for my dancer because she can walk on the ground, walk on the wall with absolutely no difference no border, then it's a uh, it's a way to say that we can uh, forget some limits we have, uh, like a pedestrian, or, uh, like a citizen in the in the city, and it's interesting to yeah to imagine that the the borders, the limits, the uh, interdictions can uh, disappear sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's a metaphor of uh, to go behind the borders. To go behind, uh, you 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 have already 20 years of a company, uh, Fabrice uh, Guillaume. Tell us some uh, of uh, amazing or strange or different places you went to perform a- all around the world. Mm.
9: Last week we have uh, we had a, an extreme experience uh, in the Mont Saint Michel. It was uh, it was incredible because we. Uh, we proposed to the audience to stay in front of the little mountains of the little mountain of the Mont Saint Michel, and uh, the the objective it was to um, to have this proposition to uh, to inhabit from the, the flesh from the highest point of the Mont Saint Michel, and to be up the, the audience sometime really near of the audience, and how is it, it was it's possible to inhabit completely this mountain. With only eight dancers, but uh, it was possible because we work at night and we have also some repertory, some uh, process with video, with uh, big shadows, and uh, with our ropes, we uh, we had the possibility to uh, to put some new journey, new uh, new lines, uh, two uh, new trails in the void, to go from the highest point to the to the place where is the audience. And uh, it was one of the biggest and the more complex uh, space we, we never uh, practiced, practiced before.
0: And abroad, in the foreign country, well, is there a place where you would like to, to go and, and dance? Because you you try to dance into the sky in a way, into towards the sky also. Maybe, I don't know if it's the ultimate destiny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is our future anyway. <laughs>
9: I like to imagine some uh, apparatus then some apparatus are are fixed on the wall some of them can be hanged in the in the the void because it's uh, the vertical dance we uh, we imagine uh, more walking on the wall uh, dancing on the wall but uh, we are the company exist since uh, 35 years.
0: Ah uh, yeah, I said 20, but because you, you look <laughs> young.
9: <laughs> and uh, for, for a long time we, w- we danced on the walls and I, I had a kind of frustration to not inhabit the void. Then we begin to put some ropes between two buildings. And uh, after I began to imagine some apparatus to, uh, to inhabit the void. And we, the first of, a, of them was uh, a pyramid of rope with only four ropes. But uh, it was uh, occupied by three artists inside that uh, big pyramid. It's, it goes at 20 meters high. And we, uh, we hang that pyramid in many countries, uh, all the continents, and uh, it was a beautiful exploration of the void. We made that in uh, industrial spaces, in, uh, in fields, uh, near the sea, in the mountain, uh, in the center of many cities each time uh, this apparatus is completely transparent then it's like if you put a slide uh, then you see the action but you can see completely the city uh, through it yes
0: okay yeah is it um, difficult to do this work in the city you have the authorization is it easy to invest uh, the the city when you do uh, this uh, a kind of artistic uh, movement uh, in the buildings
9: in fact for us it's really easy i say it's easy but it's it's a lot of work but we, we have the we have the knowledge just to uh, to organize that for example for the Mont Saint Michel we play also in the bibliothèque François Mitterrand then we made a show with 14 people it was a european uh, a meeting of vertical dance we began in rue watts uh, with uh, students of the university, and after we went step by step to the Bibliothèque François Mitterrand, and uh, then we we know how to speak to the owners, to the people who are uh, working on safeties, and uh, we for us we are like uh, like some workers, like uh, we uh, we have a, a process. Uh, it's like if we are doing some paint on the wall or something, then uh, the people in front of us they understand our vocabulary, and we imagine together some process on uh, okay for, about safety, about uh, public protection, on everything, about the protection of the sites also because when we are working on old uh, old buildings, but the new ones they are not made for vertical dance. Then we we need each time to imagine uh, yes. our anchors
0: yes because it's often uh, only glasses without a uh, way to put your your feet or your hand yeah the city has changed and the city is not made to be climbed <laughs> on now
9: yeah, this is what you observe yeah it's completely uh, incredible because it's uh, with this practice we uh, we cross all the limits all the borders there is absolutely no limit. i have a friend architect who is saying that the the only limit for the vertical dance is the distance where we can see because we can do what we want and uh, it's funny because the owners and uh, the city uh, mayor and everybody ask us to do some impossible things
0: yeah and what is your favorite city to to do your work your artistic work uh,
9: i I'm really happy some to work on the Really invisible sites. For example, we made an enormous project with 20 artists in, uh, on the pillars of a motorway in uh, Saint Denis. Which it,
0: is in the northern part of Paris?
9: Yeah, it's, it's, it was. Uh, the
0: city where is a cathedral Saint
9: Denis. Yes, exactly, but uh, it was uh, for a meeting about architecture and, uh, and the people uh, say after when they saw the show on that pillar of the motorway, we were under the motorway, and they say, oh, it's a cathedral for dancing, it's uh, it's so... Uh, so it seems to be made for, then uh, we will do some shows here uh, later. And I like also to work, of course, on uh, beautiful spaces like Mont-Saint-Michel, but both are really interesting. It's uh, this notion of uh, the relation we have to the city, for me, is quite complex. Uh, and we spend some time with that pillars, with the different objects, we are touching them, we are spending time in the void between. And we, uh, we begin to inhabit and to, uh, to have a, a strong relation to that space and we finish to love it, really. And we have some um, way, we are kind with that matter and we bring some uh, softness or some, uh, something really sweet with a strong EV uh, uh, object uh, of the architecture. Is
0: it dangerous? Did you have any accidents? Never. Never. Oh, good.
9: Yeah, but it's uh, it's for that reason I have some uh, white hairs. I <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, because I'm always have afraid about uh, the safety, and it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. not easy. But uh, after
0: 30 more than 30 years, you're still uh, scared.
9: Yeah, absolutely, but. Uh, at the, at the base, I am a climber. Then uh, the risk in uh, mountaineering or climbing, there are even if you are the good material, you have to take care on. And, uh, what is
0: more, most risky, to climb on the mountains or to climb on, on the buildings? On
9: the mountain. because you have many many risks you can't uh, imagine. And uh, I I'm more uh, a bouldering uh, climber, on a cliff climber than in mountain. It's for me it's too dangerous and uh, in the city we are obliged to take care about many many things,
0: things. you can control yeah, it and when whether is bad weather you don't you don't climb or do you do uh, do you do you do your artistic show
9: yeah yeah yes. absolutely I use the material my uh, technical director is an architect and is also a climber and then we have multi uh, skills yeah multi-knowledges about uh, construction, about the, the rules, about the material. And uh, and we, we, we think always to the safety. But my uh, technical director, Olivier Penel, is not afraid. He ah. sleeps well. <laughs> me, know. <laughs> he's
0: a lucky man.
9: Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> what would be your dream? Excuse me?
0: What would be your dream? Like uh, uh, next big project or maybe small project?
9: Yeah. I'm really happy to uh, to, to, uh, to do this creation we just made, this solo. For me, it's uh, nearly uh, synthetic about uh, the, the the name of the company. It's uh, Retour Amon. And with this solo, it's like if we can give the image of... Uh, we can go into the vertical direction, we can uh, be taken, something like this, like if uh, gravity... Sometimes doesn't exist. Sometimes it's you come back to the ground because the ground is really present and I think that verticality it's uh, from the hole to the to the stars. It's uh, what said a uh, poet uh, Roberto Juajos for, for him the verticality is from the the hole to the to the star.
0: Okay, and we, we try to
9: fun. inhabit this uh, we need the gravity to go down and uh, sometimes uh, the gravity perhaps doesn't exist we are taken by a spiral i don't know what of energy we can we can go uh, go up and perhaps uh, we saw that in the mont saint michel we uh, we made the reality about the, the dream of the eyes of the tourists who are watching to the to the Archange at the top of the Mont Saint-Michel uh, and uh, with our ropes, it's possible to do this uh, journey of uh, verticality that uh, everybody has this dream to, uh, to go uh, further, to, to jump on the wall, to uh, inhabit the void. Uh.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Let's go back to the ground now. Absolutely. For <laughs> the, the last part of the morning session. Thank you very much. Fabrice Guillot, compagnie Retour à Mont, talking about Rouat, Mont Saint Michel, saint and all this, these places. Back to the morning session. We are streaming now this morning. of fresh. It's the last round table that will uh, happen now. It's uh, a one hour, one hour and a half round table with uh, five panelists. Everybody is coming back. Fabrice Guillot is taking his jacket because he has to, to perform this, this afternoon. Cooperative De Rue, De Cirque, another place very interesting in Paris. It is not raining anymore, and that's nice. And uh, let's go back to the morning session.
4: C'est la dernière table ronde de la matinée. La dernière des trois jours. Encore un petit effort, s'il vous plaît. La pluie s'est arrêtée. Rain has stopped. We will have lunch outside. But we cannot start until you're seated.
0: You are listening to the web stream of, of fresh, the event of a contemporary circus and uh, outdoor arts, waiting for the last of the last roundtable oh, of this three days morning session. And,
4: and I think we can start now, and I will let Gwen introduce herself. Can I have attention, please? Please. We talk about care and safety. Can we put that into practice also now? Or should I talk about chickpeas again? Thank you. Gwen, the floor is yours.
10: Thank you. Thank you, Stéphane. Uh, Bonjour à toutes et tous. Hello, everyone. I'm really happy to be here. Um, My name is Gwendolyn Sharp. I'm the founder of an organization called The Green Room. And uh, today I'm actually going a bit out of my uh, personal zone of comfort because I usually work, uh, I would say, 95% of the time uh, with the music sector. Um, dealing with uh, environmental sustainability, but also, uh, as we will talk about today, uh, all uh, aspects of uh, sustainability, and especially uh, social sustainability. Uh, so thank you uh, for, to the team of uh, Circo Strada for this uh, opportunity. Um, so today, uh, as uh, I think you, you got from the, from the wonderful introductions that we had, Uh, we are talking about sustainability and especially uh, now uh, focusing on cooperation as a lever uh, to navigate uh, the complexities of what a sustainable world uh, could be and maybe should be. Um, Of course, uh, we've had, since COVID uh, and in the recent years, quite a lot of talks around environmental sustainability, which is maybe what comes to mind first when you talk about sustainability, and by the way, we are now uh, during the uh, so-called uh, um, um, Sustainable Development Week, which lasts uh, uh, until the end of uh, this week, until September 26. And that's also very linked to the SDGs, so the 17 uh, Sustainable Development Goals, that give this framework of the urgent work that we have to do Uh, as a society, and of course, which uh, concerns also the the cultural sectors. So this framework is quite used. We're not specifically going to refer to it uh, today, but we are really uh, going to talk about sustainability in this more um, holistic uh, way with our uh, different uh, speakers today, uh, which I'm really happy to welcome. Uh, They will uh, introduce themselves and especially also their context you will see we have uh, a very broad range of uh, experiences and uh, practices, so I think this is going to be a very uh, interesting conversation. Uh, we are together for an hour and a half, and we'll try to keep 15 minutes also at the end for questions. Um, so if you have anything uh, that comes to your mind, don't hesitate to write it down or to keep it for, for, for the end. Um, and as a warm-up, let's say we will <laughs> because it's a bit cold also, but uh, uh, to, to start, uh, I'm going to address each of you um, with a first question and also if you can take this opportunity um, to, to introduce yourself, your work and as I said, maybe contextualize it. And um, so Joris, my first question first question was for you <laughs> first maybe to help us uh, from, y- you stand as a researcher, and maybe to help us also to have uh, kind of a state of the art of where we stand when we talk about uh, cooperation and sustainability, and to give us also maybe what are the issues uh, that we are dealing with. Okay,
11: Thank you. So, indeed, um, my name is Joris. I work as a researcher. I work for uh, IDEA Consult. Uh, many different kinds of projects, also together with uh, Circo Strada on the Perform Europe project, uh, which you might have heard about, and you will hear about uh, it later, because a new call is coming up. We are the research partner together with uh, Circo Strada and other networks in there. Uh, it's a project about sustainability in international touring, in circus, and other performing arts. So sustainability is an aspect there, but uh, we also do uh, other kinds of uh, studies, uh, on other kinds of levels. Uh, For instance, recently, we finished also a study for the Ministry of Culture in Flanders, um, together also with Circus Centrum, about sustainable career development of uh, circus artists. So sustainability in these kinds of researches is uh, a topic that's recurring. And indeed, it's uh, about environmental aspects, but also about uh, the social, economic, uh, personal, artistic and cultural aspects and what we always try to do in these researches is uh, indeed try to understand what are the stress points what are the issues uh, what's the pressure on our practice but also have a good look at the strategies that people in the sector also outside of the sector are developing together these uh, modes of cooperation try to create more sustainable conditions and as an entry i would like to briefly break down these two elements Um, First, unpack a bit uh, the complexity of the issues that we are dealing with uh, on the one hand, and then later on, I will, uh, yeah, I thought about, let's a breakdown of five types of models of uh, collaboration, five collaborative strategies that we can use also to tackle these issues. Uh, But first, briefly, what are these issues? Uh, I'm going to try to keep it uh, as short as possible, but you know, it's very complicated. But I think a good entry point is uh, economy, uh, economic situation in broader society, but also the economy of our sector, circus arts, broader life arts, how it is evolving, and also uh, the economic position of people working in that sector. And maybe just to quote a few figures from the, the study we did for the Ministry of Culture, we did a survey with uh, circus artists in Flanders, being well aware that Flanders is also kind of like a privileged uh, situation because we have a a quite interesting circus policy. But also in Flanders, we see for instance that uh, one out of four artists has fixed employment, only one out of four, so three out of four are working on project-based. Other statistic is that uh, uh, half of the artists make their work with no funding or co-production whatsoever so it's really uh, from the touring that the income is there, or from other uh, sources of income. We also see that three out of four of the artists do have multiple jobs, so they work as a circus artist, but they only also do uh, works job, outside of the artistic practice, in the sector or out, outside of the sector. Also, we see that uh, four out of five has an international practice. So what you see there, it's really uh, uh, all symptoms of the difficult uh, socioeconomic situation of uh, artists in our sector, also arts workers in our sector. I think it's uh, safe also to expand that to people working with the artists in organizations. Also there you see a shift towards yeah, less fixed employment, more project-based, and I think that is really the basis, this economic situation of uh, a lot of uh, pressures on the people. And uh, that's also something that came out of this survey, the impact that this has on people working in the sector. We saw on average a career of an artist uh, responding to the survey. It lasts 10 years. Uh, Many people are considering to drop out because the pressure is so high, mental pressure, emotional pressure, risk of injuries, we talked about that yesterday lack of artistic recognition that is felt, less of time to exchange with the peers. So there are a lot of pressures, and yeah, people are dropping out or considering to stay working uh, on the condition that these situations can change. So I think this economic situation, the impact it has on people, on the social relations that we can develop uh, by being active in the sector, That's really a huge topic and it relates of course to the environmental aspects because we need to travel internationally we need to produce in order to survive and this has an environmental impact and we saw in our study that it's really a challenge a struggle and i think it was also summarized by uh, by the statement uh, by eric lenoir the title yes how can you uh, be one with your ecosystem, and at the same time, as it was said. So this is really a a fundamental paradox. Um, So that's uh, a bit the complexity of all these issues. Uh, But there's also good news, uh, especially in the circus sector. We see that there is a lot of engagement, uh, strong community feeling, as we also saw in the artistic intervention this morning, a lot of imagination and people addressing these issues in the work themselves. These are our strengths, and we saw also that uh, people are deploying these strengths by working together and trying to change things. And uh, try to keep as possible five strategies uh, to create more sustainable situation. I think we heard them all yesterday also in the, in the panel about, uh, about safety, and talks about care. First is um, create capacity for professional support of artists. This is really essential, uh, we used to have it more when we were still in the situation when everybody was part of a company, there was more kind of like this collective environment, but now we have a lot of uh, freelancers and yeah, it always comes up in our, uh, in our research. We need more capacity for support that we need to, uh, as artists, we, we cannot do everything together, we need uh, knowledge, context, etc. Some people have structural support, but only a minority Uh, Some people can work with producers, but a lot can, so professional support is uh, one form of collaboration. The second one is um, sharing resources uh, within our community, among the peers. This was mentioned specifically yesterday also with regards to uh, risk management. Uh, Sharing knowledge of how to approach these things, uh, but also sharing our context, who knows who, who knows what. Sharing infrastructure. Is also part of that um, sharing this capacity for pro- professional supports and uh, yeah also yeah sharing money resources. In Flanders, there's an interesting experiment. Oh no, in Brussels, uh, an interesting experiment. It's called the Common Wallet, and it's uh, artists uh, forming a community and they only have one bank account. So they share not only their incomes from from their work. Uh, they have one bank account and uh, a few principles. So you. Take money when you need it, and it's up to you to decide when you need it. So there are a lot of experiments also with these kinds of uh, sharing of resources, and I think that's uh, also a challenge for you as a sector. Uh, I know that there is a strong community feeling in the circus sector, but how to translate it in concretely modes of practice of sharing. So this is, uh, I think, a chantier to be explored. So sharing resources among artists and peers and arts workers is the second thing. The third thing, a huge topic also is uh, to create more sustainable partnerships in the ecosystem between artists and companies, but also with pres- uh, presenting organizations, the residencies, the different types of actors in the ecosystem. And there's it's a challenge that the work has become more and more project-based and uh, relations are also more project-based. But also you think, I, I see that uh, there are a lot of uh, trials to create Long-term engagements again uh, between producing houses and venues, the residencies trying to follow the trajectories of artists and not just uh, supporting a production. So there is uh, a lot of uh, energy there, and it's good, and it should be further developed. Um, so this is within the ecosystem. Uh, fourth strategy is connections outside of the ecosystem, uh, not only within the circus field, but also. Uh, with partners outside of the uh, circus fields, with uh, educational partners, with research, well-being, community. Yesterday, uh, most of you were there in the Petit petit Cirque du Monde. That is a very good example, I think, uh, of how you can create a sustainable situation in one space. Um, It's a different model of practicing circus than the international touring model, so it's both connecting with the communities, it's environmental friendly. So these kinds of... um, uh, we see that a lot of artists also uh, are stepping out of the touring model and trying to engage with these kind of practices as an answer also to, uh, to these issues. So that's the fourth uh, model or strategy. And the fifth one is uh, engaging in the dialogue with the, with the policy makers. Uh, the, the analysis is also that our funding systems are in a way pushing us towards unsustainable practices. So we need to take them along. And also I think yesterday the story Explanation behind the Plus Petit du Monde. It's a very good example of how they managed to uh, enter into a dialogue with uh, the local policymakers on the different levels, basically. Also, by listening. What are the policies? What are the goals of the policies? And so, yeah, in a nutshell. As short as possible, Gwen, uh, <laughs> untangling of the issues and already uh, a number of uh, possible strategies. Thank you,
10: Joris. That was very clear, and we'll come back, of course, to some of those points, especially the last one also that we, we will address. Um... Uh, Jean, I, I wanted also... Uh, so, uh, Joris referred to this uh, um, economical aspect of sustainability and uh, relating to the, to the models for, for artists. Uh, and I know that you've worked uh, more specifically on the theme of uh, um, sustainable careers uh, of artists and with a study that was called Next Mobility. Uh, can you maybe elaborate on that and also, of course,
12: present your work and uh, and your own uh, context? Yes. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Jin. I'm from South Korea. I'm an independent producer. work with um, different um, artists and festivals in South Korea and also try to have more international connections through the festivals and also working by, by working with the creative entities like uh, artist companies. Um... Uh, Well, I think I can start my story from pandemic. During pandemic, after a few months months of realizing that, okay, we cannot travel, we cannot meet each other, we we cannot do anything. I had a Zoom meeting with um, other international friends, mostly producers, and we were talking about like, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Are you surviving? Like, how is your industry? How is your country? And we, got this idea of, I mean, like, we thought of this word that, oh, I think I'm not a producer anymore. I feel like I'm a unproducer, which is unproducing any like, everything. We don't really produce anything at the moment. And we really like this idea of unproducing because it helped me, uh, us uh, to think about what is the producing and why we need to do that, why, what was the reason, we have been doing this producing for many, many years. And at the moment, um, we were kind of, uh, we were able to think of a uh, pure genuine reason why we'd like to do it in the future. And it helped us to go to the um, research project, um, two different research projects that I was able to initiate. One uh, was producing workshop, for the producers and the artists, so that I give a, quest- a question to the artists and producers, what is the reason that you'd like to do art in, in now and the future? And um, this is like a conversation of um, finding a different reasons in the sentences to introduce yourself for the future um, careers. And um, I think I was able to survive because of this workshop that I was able to initiate it. And, um, Yeah, also, yeah, we have a good music here. (laughs) And also, on the other side, uh, with other two producers, uh, we were... Yes, I really like it. (laughs) We we, um, did this research called um, New Connections and Next Mobility, which is all about the international exchanges in the post-pandemic era. Because that was that started because I miss my friends and I want to meet my friends in the future, but just in different countries, different cities. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to like say no to everybody. Okay, I'm not gonna see you anymore. But I want to meet them. I want to walk with them. I want to keep doing what I've been doing. So this uh, next mobility research was actually. All about the new type of international collaboration with the different tools and different methodologies after the uh, development of the technology. We're not really presenting the full size of production to the different cities, but maybe we can choose, um, like we say, concept touring um, or um, deep mobility, which is like not only bringing the shows to one city and coming back but try to have more cultural context and also try to understand and try to stay a few more days to have like something like a workshop or the residency so that we can make this mobility itself more deeper. And also, we, we can also say this in a slow touring, not like a fast tons of presenting the shows, but try to have more slow touring in a way that we can leverage the, the uh, compensation of um, international tourings. And um, we also um, touched a bit about the green mobility with the different tools that we can um, um, use for our future international collaborations. And um, so in the first year of next mobility research, we had this idea of different tools for helping us to be internationalized and keep ourselves working with different countries and cities. But interestingly, in a second year, what we, were, uh, what we were focusing on was actually the reason why we need to um, be internationalized. And it gave us uh, the moment to broaden our perspective to the sector which is underrepresented, um, to the uh, part of the society we didn't really see before. So that we can talk about, um, we, we called it as a new narrative, Uh, For example, one artist as a researcher, she had this idea of uh, working with the immigrant community and refugee community in South Korea, and she thinks that it's really important international project. And also, the other artist, she had this idea of um, interviewing different women uh, um, in Asia, which is uh, under the gender imbalance situation, so that she can collect those different uh, voices from the females in Asian society, so that she can uh, try to make a more um, um, solidarities with different narratives and different voices. So um, as, as I told you, first year we were focusing on the tools and what we can do, what we can use, but the second year of the next mobility research, we were focusing on, okay, who's in the room? We were um thinking about that as I think it's also part of the sustainability like sustainability in the manner of um social and um so um yeah um social aspect, social perspective. And um yeah, I think that's all I can say <laughs> at the moment.
10: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Thank you. We'll come back also to the, to, to the narratives and the touring models there in, in, in just a moment with, uh, with Daniel. But uh, uh, before that also we had a, a, a good, uh, I would say, entry point uh, to the Sphere project and to this uh, uh, connection to the non-human early on with uh, Andrea and, uh, and Maria. Uh, so uh, I would like all uh, uh, to ask you now uh, to maybe uh, explain a bit about the, the Sphere project and also talk about how uh, you work also with the, uh, these aspects and uh, especially um, the um, uh, the technological uh, also aspect of the, of your work.
13: All right. Um, I think um, if it's possible to use some slides, it would help me lot just to get uh, get going but yeah I'm Ulle uh, uh, strandberg Colling uh, and uh, I'm a director, choreographer, product manager and also something uh, as attractive as an administrator I think. Uh, I uh, will do a slightly scripted version because I try to like, crunch in so much details in six minutes right now so I, I, I will faint. Um, so I'm based in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, and my background is as a circus performer, acrobat, and juggler. Um, and uh, I'm particularly interested in the meeting between circus, technology, economy, and organization. And if I've met some people of you pre-pandemic uh, networking, I was probably working as a project manager and director for Circus Circa, and uh, there my under-trilogy has been touring a lot. So. Um, Maybe you've seen some of those performances. Right now, I also, if we go back uh, a few slides, uh, I can just say next, next or something, but it doesn't matter. This is my company nowadays, Salvarantan de Wilder. So it's me and Sara de Wilder. And uh, it's an artistic collaboration between us. Uh, we have a shared artistic leadership and are driven by developing alternative models for creative processes and performing arts production. So... Um, we try to find new formats and contexts for our art, and we work locally, nationally, and internationally, uh, often in collaborative projects. So, our, our experience with the circus has clearly shown the value of joint risk taking, and it also permits our projects in other art forms, such as dance, visual art, and theater. I just want to say that uh, I'm gonna uh, say that we have started some weird projects, like the Crypto Circus project at uh, the Sphere. I will talk more about that. Uh, And then we also have our studio, the Fantastiska Platsen. So it's a couple of slides here. You can take next one and next one. And uh, it's just a space in central Stockholm where we have a lot of cross-innovation, fun gatherings, presenting performances, and so on. Um, And me speaking about technology, right now we have developed also... uh, Uh, A large-scale language model we started one and a half years ago. It's specifically made for uh, performing arts and I think it's called Educated Eater and I think that this uh, also goes together with with kind of uh, the idea of uh, uh, how we can encourage um, technological experimentations as a way to find new narratives and new ways of working um, this is uh, right now. If you go to the next slide, uh, "Educated Eater," uh, it has been fed with with kind of my texts and my work from the last ten years, and it's a way to find new and other narratives from our own documentation of our own projects, and it has landed into a, a, a new production that is called Tossbot, that we're that we're, we're building uh, right now. Actually, it's called. Uh, uh, this is the still place, presents, tomorrow officially sucks, but today is the best, Tosspot. But we just call it Tosspot for the sake of simplicity. And the idea with this, with this uh, performance is basically that, that technology can help us re- rewire how we see our own stories, our, our own narratives, and can make us just uh, look into our own practices and see new ways forward. Um, So it's it's not um, AI as some kind of dictatorship or anything like this. AI as a very non-scalable personal assistant, large model trained on only 200 pages of raw text. Um, And it's been working amazingly well. If we go forward a little bit, we can jump, uh, that's the ensemble of that, and then we jump there, the sphere. So in 2017, uh, I started working with the idea of a parallel economy for the circus arts and the performing arts in general. And uh, this, was, this came to me uh, when I started investigating what blockchain technology could be for circus. And we approached it a bit as an apparatus, as you would do as a circus performer. Uh, how can this blockchain thing, the crypto, the... Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, how you want to refer to it, help, actually help us, uh, not to kill our creative uh, creativity or just uh, create uh, like, financing of, uh, of everything we do. How can it actually be something that rewires a digital infrastructure? Um, so the Sphere in 2020 became a Creative Europe large-scale cooperation project. And you've seen also this Maria and Andrea that presented a bit of their works that are now creating, like Maria is creating a derivative work, some kind of next version of an already existing work. And we also try to revive past works from 10 years ago or even longer ago. We've been invited people to, to try to revive works. And we try to find ways of... Um, making a lot of people. We try to have all the stakeholders in our ecosystem, like presenters, theaters, uh, uh, artists, technicians, uh, audience, everyone participate in co- and co-decide co- how can uh, the next iteration of a production that has existed take uh, happen uh, through new artists. Uh, and then we try to build up Economical system for that that capture different values, economical, financial values, but also other values. How can we like transform, transmit performances, and create new performances um, using new technology? And as a yeah, as a question that that um, um, that I, that I, you first sent out to me, it was a, a question that basically was. Um, um, how how was it formulated? It was quite interesting. I have to see. Uh, there's a strong need to deconstruct digital beliefs. So how would you? How does the sphere answer to that? And um, what I what I see, what I think, is that the current uh, technological belief that we all have is that internet, social media, uh, the digital invisible infrastructure is comfortable, it's something that we can just rely on, and something that just works for us, and something that, that just encourages us to share stuff in Facebook groups or whatever. But it's actually feeding uh, a very um, strange business model that creates a genocide in Myanmar, or that actually is um, really um, provoking or making um, weakening democracy. I would say, so we, how does the sphere answer to to this? I mean, the sphere is an experiment on something parallel or something else, on another narrative, on another relation to internet, to, to the social media, uh, the invisible infrastructure, because maybe if we rewire the infrastructure, the way that we socialize, because I would say also that social media today is actually socializing us, in a way, to act in the favor of the platform. So, uh, and we have to collect the data, people ask us to collect the data, uh, uh, to show, this is the statistics, this is how many that, that read my post, this is how many who saw my trailer, this is how many who booked book tickets through Instagram, etc. So, we're stuck in that. So, uh, we have a big, uh, very important uh, mission, I would say, to find ways to, of course, build your communities there if you want to, but what's your migration plan and what is the way that you can avoid that kind of data uh, trap um, because we, you have to work for what you want to do and not for what the platform wants you to do. And um, that, that, that's what what Tossbot, uh, the pre production, the kind of... AI that we built and also the sphere is about. It's rewiring, finding new narratives through using and daring to be inside of technology. So uh, this is my like <laughs> important note to bring.
10: Thank you, Ole, and uh, you, you mentioned like building the community and I think that's a very good uh, bridge uh, to go towards you. Uh, Theo. Uh, you define yourself as a builder um and uh, my question to you was Yoris uh, um, was mentioning this uh, how important also uh, or how we can have this strategy also of working maybe more with uh, other sectors than than the performing arts sector and how do you see uh, for you how can uh, artists different stakeholders organization like yours or like your model also as a collective how do you see that as a as an interesting uh, level also uh, seeing from the point of view of Performing Arts?
14: Uh, So, uh, we're not working in the Performing Arts uh, sector. We are architects and we define ourselves as architects builders because we basically build everything that we design. So, if you can move on the next. So, we are more interested in two spaces than buildings. It means that we are not obviously building huge buildings. We are building small-scale interventions that uh, can make things happen in places. So we're more focusing on experiences than spaces. This is a former nightclub in Italy where we slightly renovated it so the community of the village can occupy this former nightclub to have some uh, weekly market, for example so we move to places to places and also to the other slide so we are focusing more on the processes than the results so how can this experience of transforming a space that is usually painful you know and dusty and uh, the work of the craftsmen is not uh, such a, a nice work usually how do you transform this experience of making into something that can straighten a community uh, and to empower a local community to transform their own spaces. So we come somewhere, we gather the community, we co-design with them, and then we build it with them. So we, for example, this is a, a local association in Marseille City with the differently-abled people and we help them to transform their spaces, making furniture, a kitchen, and so on. So it's very tangible uh, work, if you can move. So basically what we say is that architects should stop building new buildings. It's a resource consuming and they should just care about what is here. And what is here, it's not only spaces, uh, it's also resources. For example, we use a lot of reuse materials in what we do. We harvest our own uh, trees to cut them and to work with them. Uh, So resources, people, of course, as I said, this is um, furniture we made with the asylum seekers in a place in the south of France to help them to develop their garden, for example. This is natural uh, paint technique coming somewhere from Sweden, maybe, I I don't remember um so i think our work is really more related to this notion of uh, care and experiences more than uh, building new buildings and uh, design uh, beautiful spaces if you can move so in the end this is why we are building it's an excuse to straighten communities so they can be proud of, that, of themselves when they do stuff that they usually don't. So making is at the heart of what we do, and this is also the crossroads between architecture, social work, and also art, which I think I will talk later on, but uh, we are also doing many things around the making processes, like making movie, uh, graphic design, edition processes, and everything, but this I will talk later, I guess.
10: Thank you. Um, yeah, that was the last slide. Um, Daniel, last last but not least, um, we, when we prepared this uh, roundtable, I, I remember you mentioned uh, talking about uh, leadership that was very important, and I was wondering, um, we talked about those small-scale intervention, and obviously you work for CIRCA, so the, the question of the scale here is, uh, is really important. And how do you, uh, what kind of strategies, I would say, do you develop within Circa uh, to address this uh, question of leadership? And also, uh, how do you see that in cooperation also for programming uh, within, within the, the company and, uh, and the work that you are conducting?
6: Okay.
15: Hi, everyone. Uh, sorry about my accent in, in, in advance, but you've had a nice Australian over here translating for you. Um, I work for Circa, so Circa is quite a large-scale Australian circus based in Brisbane. Um, We travel internationally, we have uh, a big market here in Europe and that, additionally UK, they're separate, Um, as well as the Americas, Asia, um, definitely Australia and New Zealand. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an expert of any kind on sustainability and I don't think Circa is either. So I'm going to represent myself in this conversation and just talk from experience because I think that's um, useful. Um, Circa has about 60 full-time employees equivalent. There are anywhere from, it sort of changes obviously, from 23 to 28 full-time acrobats who are on salary. So that is a commitment that Circa made to the art form and to artists that they have full-time employment with leave, sick leave, all of those things built in and they don't have to worry about their next gig. Um, As far as we know, we are the only Australian circus functioning like that, and I think we are still quite rare in the field, especially at the scale at which we work, um, which is, you know, quite impressive. Sadly, of course, that creates a massive financial burden before you've done anything, so every week we know that we've spent this much money before we've started the week, Um, so we have to tour notoriously. Um, We are lucky to receive a small percentage, it hovers around 20%, it it, it changes, sometimes less, sometimes a few percent more, of support from the Australian government and its various funding arms, Um, but everything else is really income that we need to make, and that's from touring. Uh, We have a relatively large-scale training facility in Brisbane. Um, which focuses on very young uh, aspiring artists all the way to young professionals that are about to you know, go into a circus like Circa. Um, we also have a Circability program which is focused on people with disability and how circus can bring um, new mobility and new ways of collaborating and thinking to their lives. Um, and that is also quite a unique program. Um, in terms of leadership and sustainability, I think this was in the context of a, you know, a pre-briefing conversation that we were having, and I said that you know, really, for us to collaborate and for us to, you know, make a move on sustainability, and that needs to be within the, in the realms of, of our industry. I mean, I don't think we're gonna stop the ice caps melting. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, but I think that, you know, we can affect change and we can make a difference, and it has to be supported by leadership. I think, you know, I've just told you about circus structure. Every single, you know, artist, organization, venue is going to have a different structure and a, leaders need to make choices about what, what changes they can make, where they can adapt, which is right for that structure. And I think it's also about humility of saying, you know, I don't know the right answer, but we're going to try this for a while. Okay, we were wrong. We need to do something else. Um, in terms of collaboration, uh circus got quite an interesting... Well, it's not that unique There's a lot of other circuses doing this kind of work, but, you know, our... our... Our key line is, what is possible in circus? And that has led us to collaborate with symphonies, with with operas. We have three operas next year, for example. Um, With individual artists, with visual artists, you know, a whole range of people. And I think that brings a different way of thinking. And we've certainly, you know, when we play with bigger companies like Opera Australia or, you know, Opera de Lyon or um, uh, we're playing with the Luxembourg Philharmonie, There is always an exchange where we can teach something. You know, know, uh, the conductor will come out and he'll be agitated because he has to listen to the sound of acrobats hitting the mats during his uh, performance, which is, you know, often. But in that space, there is always, you know, by the end of the collaboration, there is something learned and there's some exchange. So I think we can all learn from each other in terms of what we're doing. it's, I think it's interesting to just mention, and I'm not going to go on and on because I don't know that much. But it is interesting to mention that Yaron Lifschitz, who has been the founding, you know, the founder of Circa, um, which is a 20-year-old company now, um, is actually trained as a, a dramaturg and an opera director. And so he doesn't have a background in circus. I mean, obviously he does now, but in the way that we create shows, it's in, he creates shows. It's very much a collaborative effort. It really starts with an idea and he'll say to the acrobats, you know, okay, I want something here that's rich and high and this and the acrobats will fill that space. So it's it's quite a democratic way of working and that filters down into other things that we do. Um, and 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 just on the same sustainability note because there's an elephant in the room and we're an Australian circus internationally touring. Um, we of those sort of twenty five to twenty eight acrobats we'll split into three companies. Uh, we'll have a company that is based in Australia and touring Australian market, we'll have a a company here in Europe of, say, 10 acrobats and another company moving around within that. So we've just had the Edinburgh Fringe. We were there all month with a company of eight plus touring party. But we had a a company of 10 playing in Zurich at the same time. And those companies will tend to stay offshore away from Australia for months at a time. We're not doing run-out tours. And, you know, that is a strain on the acrobats, but that's the way that we sort of try and manage this sustainability issue. Because Australian markets cannot sustain circa <laughs> um I I like that you referred also to humility
10: I, I it resonates also from what Eric Lenoir said uh, this uh, need to be humble but that said um, when we look at uh, reconciling somehow our values and with our practices um, there's a, a question I would like to, to to ask all of you and feel free to jump in and even to react to to what the others will would say but it's really a question on uh, the articulation, um, how we can articulate this wish uh, for a more holistic approach to, to sustainability and its possible implementation, so in, in uh, to take into account also our specific uh, context and specific values depending on where we are. And we know also that cooperation is not easy because it's exactly that, putting together people with different contexts and different values. Um, And um, my other question to that is, like, uh, why does it matter, and who uh, does it matter to? It's not an easy one, but (laughs) whoever feels like jumping in.
11: I can jump in, because this uh, term holistic, it's very, (laughs) maybe interesting, but what does it really mean? And um, we often also use it in, uh, for instance, in Perform Europe, and what we mean by it is it's just the acknowledgement that the situation is very complicated. We talk about the artistic, cultural aspects, the economy, environment, and yeah, it's just the acknowledgement that everything is interrelated. Uh, uh, and we know that from daily practice. Huh? It's in the choices that we make. Uh, we're all very environmentally engaged, and we want to uh, to be uh, work uh, in environmental friendly fashion. But you need to make a living, you need to survive, you need to make choices on a daily basis. And uh, every invitation to go someplace, it's always this balancing exercise. Am, am I going to grab this opportunity? And what is the impact? Uh, what do I gain from it? Uh, and what is the negative impact on, on my life, on uh, environment, etc.? So we all know that, uh, that these issues are interrelated because uh, It's the the decisions that we make uh, on a daily basis. But this is only one level. Um, In Perform Europe we saw it also on another level. Um, If you're making these decisions for yourself, it also really matters in which context uh, you are making these decisions. And we we saw it quite clearly that uh, context really matters. For instance, uh, I live and I work in Brussels. I used to work for the Arts Institute there, and we created this map. It's called uh, Start to Train, and we made a map starting in Brussels and mapping all the places that you can go to uh, in six hours by train. And it's quite huge, in fact. So, this, uh, there's a, a, a good situation to be environmentally friendly. But in Perform Europe, we had huge discussions with uh, people working in isolated uh, regions, in the Balkans, for instance. With less access to uh, to this kind of uh, public transport, but also less access to connections within the international ecosystem, less access to funding. So, yeah, what's your priority when we talk to companies uh, from uh, this part of Europe? The environmental is very important, but in other contexts, it's no. It's really breaking out of this isolation. So it's very difficult to, uh, in this kind of international conversations, to uh, focus on just one aspect. Uh, Another example, you might have heard about it a couple of years ago, the famous uh, French choreographer, Jérôme Bell, said that we should all stop flying. And there was, of course, uh, a huge riposte by other artists. Uh, There was this Mexican company who wrote an open letter and said, yes, it's because you can say that because you have been flying all your life. This is your privilege, and it's a kind of like a neocolonial, neo-colonial stance that you ask for us, that we do not fly anymore. So it's, I think it's impossible to isolate the environmental aspect from, uh, from the idea of, uh, of social, social justice. So this is, uh, yeah, the acknowledgement that it's so complicated so on a personal level, but also on a systemic level. So, yeah, this is the issue. Theo, um, yeah. <laughs>
10: what you wanted to... Yeah,
14: I want to say that um, I'm not. I'm. I don't really agree with the fact that complexity is an excuse not to make choices. Also, and sometimes you say, "Yeah, it's complex, so we don't know." At some point, you have to make decisions. And I really like what Eric Lenoir said this morning about sometimes you say no, and uh, even if it's complex, you don't know, you say no. And us, for example, uh, many times real estate companies they come to us. Even a cement company, they come to us. A few weeks ago, the Rothschild uh, Foundation wrote to us, and to all these people, we say no. And we know it's tough. We are paid minimum wages in France. It's been 10 years we're doing this, so it's a huge commitment. And yes, yet, we we have to say no at some point. We have to stop uh, hiding from uh, this uh, complexity and I don't know, and... uh, I think it's not a post-colonial, a neo-colonialism uh, stance. It's about generation, and it's not uh, like um, you don't take plane, I did. It's, uh, I mean, it, that's obvious. It's not about uh, being Mexican or French or whatever. It's uh, about also to a collective decision. So, um, I think we should stop doing th- some things. And even if it's hard, we have to stop and say no to clients, no to situations, and uh, for example, this is what we try to do, and it's not easy, of course, and it, it's maybe not sustainable as a practice to keep this thing, but uh, still I think uh, I like what Eric Lenoir said.
11: Just a brief reaction before I uh, i don't want to take all the floor, <laughs> but uh, embracing and acknowledging uh, the complexity is one thing, but I completely agree that the only answer to that can be sharpness. You cannot tackle all these issues at the same time. That's not a thing. And saying no is very important, but also what you all said here. We had kind of like a very interesting spectrum of concrete experiments that tackle very specific things creating community in this place. The deep mobility research, I think this is the way to go. Also your experiments with how can we uh, infuse new digital technologies in, in our economy. I think this is the sharpness that we really need in this complexity. Be very precise, set up experiments, and learn from these experiments uh, together, also with uh, kind of like an ethical standard, as you say. So, that's, uh, I think, a way forward out of uh, the complexity.
13: Yeah, I was, I was kind of freely associating uh, uh, a little bit, but I, uh, in the sphere, we have we tried to tackle the, the concept of, of touring by, um, by doing this this experiment, we called it the Megavote, actually. So it was, we had uh, these uh, performances uh, that we transformed into digital commodities, basically, uh, almost in, uh, crypto commodities. And we did a kind of fundraising where um, globally people that were already like into that uh, crypto scene, let's say, it's a weird weird new audience that, that uh, we can... Say bad and good things about, but they funded uh, one performance, and then all the stakeholders that we had collected it was 800 um, uh, people from uh, Lithuania, Italy, uh, Germany, Sweden, um, etc. I'm saying in Portugal, um, and so on. They it was people that were audience, that were, were artists, and so on. They could vote basically on which. Which artists are going to make the next iteration of this performance? And what happens then is that it starts a new social, um, a new um, collaboration between the former artist and the new artist, and the new art- artist is based somewhere else. And the new artist is creating a work that it, it stems from another work, but it creates local uh, working opportunities, local presentations. and then also the former attraction get, spills over to the new work somehow, so it also gets it finds a new kind of weird market where, where uh, it's, it's, it's not like instead of touring, but it's, it's actually adding value that also, of course, wants uh, that local place, wants the original artists also come and perform, but then alongside that one, this local artist can present their work, and, and therefore it, it actually uh, creates um, it, it gives more. Um, more than just a production coming to a city presenting for an audience. It actually creates a, a local um, uh, economy, community-like uh, thing. Uh, and, and I think this has been very fruitful because we see that, that these people who have done these derivative works or the original works have both benefited from this, this experiment as one way of maybe uh, adding some kind of sustainability note to like touring, at least we, we, you go there, but you also have a new context created, and a new economy created around your work, uh, a good input, but it doesn't work for everyone, it's not like in Circa cannot do that, uh, not have 800 artists or 8,000 artists just being locally everywhere creating new performances that is copies of other performances, it, would, it wouldn't work, but uh, maybe you can find some way.
15: We're actually exploring that right now. Um, no, but I think it's an interesting question, this touring thing. I mean, we've been touring out of Australia for, you know, 20 years. Like, obviously more locally originally, but now really more than ever. Out, we, we actually tour more than any other Australian performing arts company, and that includes the large-scale companies like the Opera, the Ballet, the Sydney Dance Company. So we are out of there. Um, I think it's, you know, we've been thinking about sustainable touring uh, for a long time because obviously freight is incredibly expensive and slow, um, so we really uh, most shows uh we have we actually have mat storage all over the world. we have uh, local circuses store them for us and they can use them while we 're not u- using them and then we pick them up in the u k we've had mats in l a et cetera et cetera um, and we try and share equipment where we can. most of our shows are very low on apparatus, like mainly aerial which can travel in you know in luggage um and you know these kinds of considerations costumes are lightweight you know all of that stuff we use you know it's um It's been something that's been, you know, programmed into Circa for a long time, which maybe some circuses are just thinking about now. Um, I think when we think about uh, sustainable touring, I mean, we all want longer seasons, you know. Ideally, Circa would be in one place for a month or two at a time, and that would be much better for the environment. Um, But that is incredibly hard to, you know, find venues at that scale that can do that. And, of course, there are artistic directors who want to change things up, have something different. Um, you know one of the biggest uh, challenges that we have is of course we want to su- we want to tour sustainably you know we you know we'll, we'll speak to a presenter and say okay can you help us build a tour you know some places you know a local tour some places are much better than this than others This places like Canada where they've always had to rely on a network otherwise they can't get artists you know to to their um, locales um, but you know Time and time again, you, get, you come up against, you know, oh, well, we want to be the only ones in this region to show this show. You know, we, we, you, know you can't have this anywhere else in whatever country. Um, and and this, this has to change. We can't, you know, we're, we're doing our best. We're, you know, happy to be flexible. We, we can scale shows up. We can scale them down to fit into much smaller venues. We've just created a, a sort of touring version of our main show, Humans 2.0, which has no aerial and it's the same day open to facilitate smaller venues like dance venues that don't have the rigging and you know and and or smaller venues that don't can't give you a whole day to bump in you know so we're as adaptable as we can but we can't you know I can't we also on top of that you know, the repertoire is so massive. Like, the company that's touring Humans 2.0 in Europe at the moment has five shows in repertoire, and we could probably throw them into other shows. So if you have an artistic director that says, you can't do Humans 2.0 here, you know, it's got to be something. We can go to the next town and go, okay, we're going to do something else. But it's still, it's, it's still a huge barrier for us in terms of sustainable touring you know, to say, okay, we'll line up a tour in, you know, in the Netherlands, and it's like, okay, great, we've got a lot of interest, but there's no bump in, you know, we can only pay, you know, this much fees, you know, which, you know, it, it's, it's this constant challenge, and I think that, again, coming back to the collaborative, we all, all parties in this, in this uh, ecology have to work together, and probably communicate a bit better.
13: Just a thought experiment for Circa, for instance, if if Circa would change change the business model to not having all of these uh, these employees, not not just uh, create precarious uh, situations for all Australian circus performers, but for the sake of uh, what if the profit made from touring would go into a common a common pool, basically of of, um, of cash, and then you could see how can we create a new Circa performance, uh, decentralized still has the quality that we want to label with, with Circa but new artists from different areas around the world can actually participate in creating that using um, that common pool and then if if then uh, that performance starts and then a certain percentage of that revenue from that would go to the common pool new new voting could happen or new new decision making could happen and then but how would you then uh, the interesting thing here is how can you keep quality and still open up to your whole? Because you have such a big ecosystem of of stakeholders, of of audience all over the world, and so on. They want to see your. So how can the brand itself uh, exist and still be qualitative? But you can invite uh, plural, pluralities. Impor, impossible to say. But anyway, you do you, you do that uh, through some kind of weird uh, business model. You would never do that, of course. But it would be. Or I, I'm not going to say that. But it would be very interesting to see, would it survive, would the brand survive and would you still um, stand behind the productions artistically and et cetera? Because it could change, uh, it could lessen the traveling by 80 percentage, whatever. Uh, it would be interesting.
15: True. <laughs> interesting because my background is actually visual arts and so I've always worked in exhibition making which is far worse than than touring and and circus I can tell you that the the amount of waste is horrific Um, but I think that you know it's interesting coming to the circus world and really learning more about circus is how distinct each style is and we are distinctively Australian and I think that's why people are interested in seeing us. And of course, you know, and distinctive with the artistic, you know, director, et cetera. So decentralizing, I mean, the French style is stunning. You know, it's no soft falls. It's very beautiful. It's very contemporary dance, you know. And that's a very different style than what we perform. So it would become like a monopoly. You're essentially, you know, it would become a brand that then, you know, you took over the world and everyone was just in Circa and Circa was circus. And I don't think that's, that's good for anyone. You know, we've had discussions, particularly during COVID. I think everyone thought about this. Uh, the ensemble was actually uh, staying with our good friends here at Ariga um, because they were stranded for several weeks, is you know, actually having a full circus that you know, is, is here in Europe, for example. Like every time we go to, to London, which is fabulous, but it costs an absolute fortune for a presenter to put all of our acrobats in you know, per diems, you know, accommodation, all of these things, flights. If you had a circus that was made up of acrobats from the UK, None of these fees would apply because they'd be in their hometown and they would be performing circus shows. But it becomes a different thing, right? We're, we're talking about a totally different beast.
6: <laughs>
12: I can uh, also, no solution to it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to add one more thing because in this table, interestingly, there is no programmer. I don't know why. But I think um, not only the triers and like... Um, the trials of the shifting the structure of the artist company like Circa but also the responsibilities and like responsibility of the programmer has been shifted as well because I think still the audiences has a right to see the good quality arts in the world and um, to do that artistic directors and programmers should be more careful, Should working more to see and find the good reason of bringing these artists to their festivals and venues, and this is also linked to the sustainability, I think. And also, not only, okay, I like this show, I, I'm sorry that I'm saying like this, but, I like this show, I'm gonna bring this to my festival, but, like, we need to be more careful, we need to be more more sensible for for um, which show to be present, which narrative that we need to present. And, like, um, maybe back to what Jerome Bell said, he is able to stop flying because he's Jerome Bell and he's still working internationally with his network. But what if the emerging artists, what if the narrative that we need to deal with um, in the festival, in the venue, what if the, the, the marginalized people in the world still we need to present more? Like, how can we make it more sustainable in a way? That's also my question. So, yeah, I think we can say no, but also before saying no, we also th- we need to think about our responsibilities of what to present, what, who is in the room, as, as I said before. That's also maybe we can talk about this as well.
10: Yes, uh, I think it's a a very good point, and you started to to go into uh, more like these uh, ethical considerations. And I can also take an example uh, coming from the music sector and uh, relating to what you were saying about this uh, flying thing. We have more and more uh, festivals in France, at least, that start to say that they will not invite artists that are flying anymore. And if you think just about France, like, we have uh, territories which are insular, uh, which are at the other side of the world, and those artists cannot come to uh, even central France without flying. So those considerations have, of course, to be be taken into account. Uh, And not looking just at the transport modes, but really at uh, all the social and economical uh, issues and... I don't know if there's anyone from the European Commission here, but (laughs) uh, we also see now uh, there's a a report that just came out about greening the Creative Europe uh, program, and with uh, a very, for me, problematic uh, definition of what green mobility is, and really just focusing on the mode of uh, low-carbon transportation, but totally forgetting about uh, the rest. So that's also our, our point. Uh, So, um, because of course I have way more questions than (laughs) the time that we have, but I wanted to come also uh, to this question of the role of funders and uh, also link to this uh, ethical... um, And we see uh, sustainability issues that are often tackled separately or in, in silos And uh, do you see, maybe, or do you you have some examples, or do you see some um, uh, models that could uh, have a more, let's say, intersectional uh, approach to funding also, and trying to address those issues in a more, uh, again, holistic uh, way? Well, it doesn't have to be you uh, starting all the (laughs) time, huh?
11: No, but... um... Of course, in the research we thought about these things, <laughs> so I have something ready. Uh, if you talk about the role of funders with regards to all these uh, complexities, I think there are two major points uh, to be made. First is, uh, they need to uh, critically examine their own funding models and evaluate them and ask the question, in what ways are our current uh, funding system contributing? to the problems, to the issues, uh, to the unsustainabilities on the economic level, uh, environmental level, etc. In what way are we contributing? Are the models contributing to this precarity that we are talking about? Uh, for instance, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of quantitative criteria, for instance, because it really stifles innovation. We have seen that. So critically re-examine the current funding models is one thing, but the other thing is also uh, reshape Uh, the funding systems in order to really contribute to this uh, system change that we have been talking about. We've heard so much about these interesting experiments. It's a different kind of criteria. It's not uh, excellent artistic projects. It's really funding these projects that we think have a potential for development for our ecosystem in the future, and that's an interesting uh, way of looking. And if you look at uh, transition management literature, transition literature, transition science, It's always about the necessity of having these experiments. So I think uh, funding should also switch a bit more to this experimental research and development approach to make it possible. And also, uh, well, learn from these experiments, Uh, invest also in connections, networking between everyone here in the room also dealing with this. It's not only funders that need to do this, it's an important role also for the networks. Um, It's important to bring these experiments together, learn from that, and then ultimately mainstream these in uh, new funding systems. And I think that there are already good practices there. Just one example, uh, the the Culture Moves Europe uh, mobility grants, who have been developing from uh, the Apportunus uh, framework, several iterations. Now the whole system with the the top-ups for mobility. Add a top-up, more funding if you travel in an environmentally sustainable way. Add a top-up for accessibility purposes. Add a top-up if you want to bring your family. This is a very concrete, simple thing, uh, integrated in a mainstream funding instrument tackling these diverse issues that we have been talking about. So I think uh, we already see uh, some things shifting that we are slowly learning from the experiments. But uh, yeah, these are some takes uh, that funders can take.
15: Danielle? Yeah, just talking about the role of funding. I think, you know, um, we've had to be very creative about how we think about, you know, where money's coming from, especially when the whole world shut down. so we had we had every single show from literally, you know, the light globe that lit the table where the first idea came from for a production all the way through to, you know, making costumes, build, you know, freight boxes, everything, all the way through to performing and what the carbon footprint of every single production was. So we did that analysis and we've got a lot of data there. But then what do you do with that? So, you know, ideally what we would like to do is... Something more than tree planting, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of tree planting because it's, it's fraught and it should really, you know, I think only be used to supplement all the other things you're doing. Um, but think of a way to monetize a carbon neutral show. If you could say that we are actually a carbon positive company and, you know, what we've done is not just offset, but we're doing all of these things. And then that be a product to sell and that, monetize, you know, become a, you know, an income stream. And then it feeds itself. But it's a lot harder to do <laughs> than just to propose. And we've looked at it so many different ways. And, you know, again, coming back to presenters, it's not always their preference or priority either. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about different ideas, but it, it, it's, it's very complex. Do you want to
10: add on that? Also yeah. Maybe on the re- regenerative even approach? Uh, there projects is the next
14: slide just yeah. after. Because I think regarding to funders, um, there is something that we always talk about is also desires. Because if you look at this collapsing world, I think you don't want to change it. You want to stay in bed and watch Netflix all day. And uh, as Eric Lenoir said in the beginning of this keynote, uh, you start to feel depressed. And that is not a feeling that makes you change uh, things. So the one just before. This is a great uh, book of um, an art critic uh, and uh, this is something that uh, we want to talk about is that we need to give the people the desire to change things and uh, changing things mean also to fight and to fight uh, neoliberalism, to fight what is happening now. And um, this is also part of the work that we do. So the funders, uh, in our case, they come to us, they have a, a brief something to, to do, like, for example, that we want a few tables down by the river, we have uh, 15,000. Then you have to work with them to create other desires, to, to twist this brief and to turn it into something else. Like, uh, for example, you want tables, but maybe we can do tables in a movie, and in a movie we talk about political subjects like uh, welcoming foreigners in the area and then you start to pull the strings of the project. And at the beginning, it was picnic tables. And then it became an entire world of discussions, arguments, controversies with the inhabitants and everything. So we had to make the funders and the clients desire for something else and to bring them to something else. Maybe there is other slides, but I don't wanna, yeah. Yeah, that's all. I won't talk about this, it's going to take too long.
15: I think that's a really important point. I just want to jump in there and say, like, we need to be having a good time because it's pretty dark out there. I read The Guardian every week and I don't have a lot of hope. But I think, you know, when you walk into a really good show, it just transforms your experience and it can really lift you. So I think really importantly, keep making really good work. You know, don't squander the money that you have on making, you know, work that doesn't inspire, isn't exciting or surprising, you know. I think that's really core of what Circa does is to make something that shifts things.
13: First, uh, a little side note just con- concerning Mark Fisher, because it, it's interesting. The artist Joshua Citarella who's been like looking into r- the radicalization of young people on Instagram, uh, he has infiltrated this this troll factory, this basically, and and, and uh, like s- infiltrated and created uh, Mark Fisher memes, post-capitalistic uh, memes coming from this kind of uh, nihilistic. Uh, let's say, right-wing uh, accounts, radicalizing uh, youth towards post-capitalistic um, notions and ideas in a very f- interesting way. And I, I'm thinking this is an example of uh, something that fund, like the funding bodies can, can consider also, because we are getting um, too many productions, performances, and artists spending the work on doing pedagogical performances about climate change based on statistics or something. And this is not what the audience maybe needs to see, and it's not what the artists have to create. But the, but the way that a lot of applications and, and, and the funding ones are, are phrasing themselves is actually creating a, a, weird, um, a weird kind of art for the sake of getting money from the funding bodies. And, and here, we need to have clever infiltrators that can actually make artists also realize that you can, you can apply for something and it can be climate positive, perhaps, or, or at least concerning, because considered with sustainability without talking about that, or like, because it can do something and then it can talk about something else. And I think this is a total mess that I see in, in Sweden, at least, that, that there's so many uh, productions coming up talking about the issue straight forward like this, is that what the artist intended originally or is it something that has kind of, uh, is lurking in the back of the head in order to be able to perform?
12: Um, I chose to be the last one because I think my answer is like questionable. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, you asked me, you ask us about the role of the funder in a sustainable way. But I would say, like, um, so for last 14, 13 years of my practices, I've been working a lot with uh, Europeans and UK artists. Do you know the reason why? Because it was easy. Because it was easy to get the funding. It was easy to have a communication. And I, I think I chose something easy. And I realized that... I don't really know. I'm saying it very honestly. I don't really know about Asia, in fact. And after I realized that I don't have like enough information, knowledge about our neighborhood, I um, tried. I tried to understand more and try to invest what I have. Try to share what I have with other fellows in Asian countries, and. Um, What I would like to say is, actually, maybe we can also think about the role of the funder. For sure, that's important. But also, I would like to say that we don't, we, let's not make the funders to decide which way to go and try to find other spaces that we'd like to go, we need to go. That's, um, that's, yeah, that's my answer. Sorry for this questionable (laughs) answer. Now, let's
10: see. Um, unfortunately I've been way too optimistic and now uh, we we have to, to close the, the discussion so we will not take any questions but uh, of course you are welcome to come and uh, and ask questions to our speakers. We will have time during lunch and, and this afternoon as well. Uh, thank you all for being uh, so uh, concentrated and thank you a lot to the translators. I hope we didn't speak too fast. <laughs> Uh, and see you uh, in a bit. Thank you.
4: Hi everyone, it's me again. The practical information. Can I have your attention again? Lunch. Lunch is important, okay? We're gonna have lunch outside. It's not rainy. It's a bit cold, but it's fine. If you want to bring back the lunch inside, it's okay. So the lunch is now. What I suggest to you is that you walk and you go and grab your lunch at the end of the line because at the beginning is dessert, okay? So the main course is at the
0: and this was the third morning uh, sessions of fresh on live with the streaming radio. While the program of the afternoon is being listed for everybody, I, I want to, to thank you to listen to this very interesting morning that was here about sustainability I want to remind you that soon there will be a podcast of this uh, streaming session I want to remind you also that there will be a publication on these three days that uh, will be published by uh, uh, Sarah Abdul Bushra, who was uh, there as a guest uh, editor of the future publication of Fresh. I want to remind you also that uh, you can find the podcast around Fresh that was produced by Mike Emus and also all other publication and resources in the link of uh, circostradas.org I want to thank uh, Kinga Keshkesh, who was for us very very uh, helpful person. Of course, Artsena was uh, driving all this uh, uh, project of uh, Circo Strada. Here, everybody was fantastic, all technicians of La Villette, Le Plus Petit Sièque du Monde, and here, Village de Cirque, to help us to settle our small but necessary technical uh, computers and uh, mixer uh, places. So I'm Aude Lavigne, French journalist. It is almost uh, time to go to it. It's uh, 1 o'clock, 5 minutes p.m. here in Pelouse-Royi. Thank you to Clément, who recorded uh, all of all. Thank you to Bocart too who was there to help us making waves. is working with all around to make you listen to it. Thank you and soon in, in
4: the all? podcast have a nice afternoon thank you all and all the founders and partners to do this and I have a bit of an information which is very important for the future because you want to know where the next fresh will take place right do you want to know Okay, you're still alive. Okay, so ta da da bam. So Future Fresh, we're gonna have a fresh treat in the UK in 2025, in June, which will be co-organized in Great Yarmouth together with Outdoor Arts, and we're very happy about that. You people are. And the next fresh circus will take place in Sweden, in the cities of Botryrka and Stockholm, in February 2027, and it will be co-organized with Subtopia in collaboration with Theatern. Voila, thank you, have fun.